to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast to step through. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Well, time's up and I'm sorry I kept you. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo y Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom, Wendell's World of Sports. Konnichiwa. Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports from Perth, Australia, to Sydney, Australia, to Bangladesh, to India, to Pakistan, to Pelry, to Brazil, to Vancouver, to Toronto, to Honolulu, to Richardson, Texas, to Albany, New York, to San Diego, California, to the Bay Area in California, down south, headed over to San Antonio, Houston, heading over now to Liberty City in Miami, back up north, heading down to Baltimore, headed down to Ashburn, Virginia, headed up toward Delaware, headed over to New York City, over to Maine, back over to Nova Scotia, and we keep going, and we keep growing, and we keep getting better, that's what I'm talking about, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us from every place that I touch, special dedication for everybody who's listening, special dedication, are you doing what we need to do, are you doing what I need to do, are you doing what everybody needs to do, which is to Treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody who needs, who earns that respect. Treat them with respect. Treat those who need to be treated with respect to give them that respect. We need to do that love, peace, unity, harmony for those who are ignorant, for those who are bigoted, for those who are racist, for those who are privileged. Listen, learn, shut up, grow. It ain't going to be like this forever. What comes around goes around in this world. Karma is a bitch. All of those things included. You can live in that community. You can live in that isolation. You can live in that stupidity. You can live in that ignorance for all you want to, but you'll never grow and you'll be falling farther and farther behind. So when your children's children are here on this earth and we're learning about what happened in the year of 2020 and we are learning about what happened happened in the year of 2016 and 17 and 14 and 8 and going forward 20, 30, 40 years ago, when your grandkids are running this country, they'll look back and say, man, grandpa was a fucking idiot to think that women should be treated like this, that minorities should be treated like this, that gay people should be treated like this, that voter suppression, that uh, gerrymandering and all of those things that are going on. Shameful, shameful, sinful. And I think that one group of people actually are advocating for this and are falling in line to fall in line for this. Needs to stop need to go in a different direction. My preaching on that is over. Back to sports. Wendell's world in sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. NFL draft, man. NFL draft. We're going to be talking about. Do we always do this after the draft? Whether we're Mel Kuyper, whether we're talking to do, doing the Todd McShay, or whether we're doing the Rich Eisen, whether we're doing the Charles Davis, whether we're doing the Cal Hurt, whether we're doing the two clowns on the Shannon and Skip show, whether we're talking about the guys on the Mike Greenberg TV show, whether we're talking about First Take, whether we're talking about anything in terms of the day after or the day after the entire draft is over. Who won? Who were the winners? 
Who were the losers? Every time you watch a draft, every time you go ahead and do this stuff, you have the critics, you have the experts, you have the talking heads on the TV, and they're sitting up there with every single pick, whether it's in the first round, fifth round, fourth round, no matter what. This could be great. This could be awesome. This exactly is what they need. This guy, if he can do this, this guy can get it done. This guy can be a performer. This guy can be a help. This guy can be an impact on what the team is trying to do. Every single flip and pick for the most part. There might be some trepidation. There might be some, yeah, well, he needs to clean up this. Or, yeah, he needs to get in line with that. Or, yeah, he needs to get better at that. But they always end with the caveat of saying, if he can get that done, if he can straighten out those weaknesses, if he can accentuate his positives and his strengths and nullify his weaknesses all oh, this team has a player all oh, this team in the fifth round has got somebody that can contribute we go through that every year every year nothing changes but when we speak about who wins the draft who wins the nfl draft who did great who did wonderful who got an a who got an f who got a d minus who got a c plus history is going to show us and it's not going to show us by the end of the week it's not going to show us by the end of the month. Not going to show us by the end of training camp. Not going to show us even at the end of their first season. For the most part, with these folks, for these players who have realized their dreams, being in the NFL, whether you're Trevor Lawrence or whether you're Mr. Relevant, we won't know exactly how this played out until about four or five years down the road where we get a real good, um, we get a real good, big enough uh, base to go ahead and to uh, talk about, well, was this a great pick? Was that a great pick? Did he live up to expectations? Did he live not not live up to expectations? So we got to wait a little bit. We got to be patient. We got to show some P-A-T-I-E-N-C-E, but we can do that. Hopefully we can do that. So really, when I speak about that, what the history has shown in the past six or seven draft classes is all of those guys who were drafted, even we're speaking about top five, top 10, top four quarterbacks. Oh, Trey Lance going to the San Francisco 49ers. Whoa, the Jets are saved, baby. We got ourselves Zach Wilson move over Joe Namath, Ken O'Brien and Richard Todd. Oh, my goodness. We got the savior. Zach Wilson from BYU, the Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> the Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes clone. Look out. Trevor Lawrence is going to save the day for Jacksonville. We got ourselves the highest rated QB prospect since Andrew Luck. Before that, since Peyton Manning. And before that, since John Elway. Woo, Lord have mercy. We're going places now. Before we do all that, man, remember. Remember when you're speaking about Zach Wilson. Remember when you're speaking about Mac Jones. When you're speaking about Trevor Lawrence. When you're speaking about Justin Fields. And when you're speaking about Trey Lance. Two or three of those players that were drafted that were saviors for the squad, that are going to turn around the franchises for these fan bases. Two or three of these guys are not going to be with the same team that drafted them a couple of days ago in three to four years. The history has shown us that. And it doesn't matter if you're drafted number one or if you're drafted where Mac Jones was at number 15. It doesn't matter if you're drafted by a dysfunctional sad sack of an organization like the Jacksonville Jaguars, or if they're drafted by the creme de la creme of NFL franchises for the past 20, 25 years, the New England Patriots. Nothing, none of these quarterbacks are immune to falling in line to what the pattern has been as far as first-round draft picks are concerned when um, 
you look and you take a look back and you do your history and you do your homework and you observe exactly what happened the past six or seven years of NFL drafts. So we'll go ahead and we'll talk about that. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Let me ask you a question. How entertaining was the first or first round of the draft itself? Don't tell me you sat up there Saturday and watched the entire thing. Don't tell me that you sat down on a Saturday and you watched four hours of what was going down between rounds four and seven. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you did, um, hopefully you're doing a uh, football podcast. Hopefully if you did, you were doing an NFL blog. Hopefully, if you did, somehow, some way, you're getting paid for this, or this is something moving the needle forward in your career that you had to do. Don't tell me you did this because of you wanted to do it. Don't tell me you did this because of entertainment. No, 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 no. Please don't tell me you did that. I'm talking about for the first round, Thursday night. How was it? How did you like it? Now, the coverage... Of the draft's first round on ABC, ESPN, and the NFL Network, it drew a combined audience of 12.52 million. Pretty good. That's about 2 million more than ABC's Academy Awards telecast on Sunday. It didn't top last year's all-time high. All-time high was 15.5 million viewers, but that was, but it was up 11% compared to the 2019 NFL draft went only went only when 11.4 million watched it. So prior to last night, the all-time high was 12.2, 12.4 million viewers. In 2014, ESPN had the largest share of viewers with 6.48 million, while ABC brought in 4.19 million, and the NFL Network brought in 1.85 million. And that was the first round of the NFL draft. So, man, it was slow though, man. I was in my hotel room up in Mesquite watching that thing. It was like the draft started five o'clock or some shit like that. And it was like, we got to pick 14 and I looked at the time and it was like seven o'clock. And I'm like, damn man, we've been two hours through this thing and we've only been two hours, only two hours. And we're not even halfway through the uh, first round yet. Damn, that pace was slower than a major league baseball game. I felt like, like I was watching a version of the, uh, New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, where they play nine inning games that last four and a half hours. So the first round took forever, especially when there was really no drama. I mean, yeah, okay, Mac Jones sitting by himself, but you knew that he wasn't going to fall past number 15 to the New England Patriots. So I'm quite sure by pick number 11 or 12, Mac was like, yeah, you know what, guys? Uh, if I can get to 15 and be drafted by the uh, Patriots, yeah, I can kind of like that. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling good about that. So... I think there was a time around that period where he was like, yeah, I don't mind, because pretty soon I'm going to be out of heel. So you ain't going to Brady, Brady Quinn me. You ain't going to uh, Aaron Rodgers me. You ain't going to Geno Smith me this year. Uh-uh, I ain't going to be that guy. Mac Jones is not going to be that guy. With the 15th pick, the New England Patriots select Mac Jones from Alabama. Suck on these bitch. Get me out of here. So, I mean, you know, you get to go to Josh McDaniel. He gets to go to Bill Belichick. Yeah, man, I mean, you know. Matt Jones is feeling pretty good. If you take a look at it, really, if you gave some truth serum and you said, Mac, would you rather be the number two pick and go to the New York Jets? Or would you rather be the number 15 pick and go to the New England Patriots? Let's take a look at how the quarterbacking has gone. Let's take a look at the coaching staff. Let's take a look at the organization itself. Let's take a look at the success that it's had, that um, these teams have had on the field. Again, I'll ask you one more time. Mr. Jones, 
Would you rather be drafted by the New York Jets as number two? Hey, fantastic. Number two in the draft. Whoop the damn do. But look at the record. Look at the track record for the New York Jets with quarterbacks are concerned. Now you get to go to Josh McDaniel. Now you get to go to Bill Belichick. Yeah, I'll sit in that room for another hour and a half. I don't care. I'm cool with that. That's where I'm going to end up because chances are that my career is going to be longer because of the organization that I went to than the one that went, that went number two. So guess what? Five, six, seven, eight years from now, when I'm winning the Super Bowl championship and when I'm going to the Pro Bowl and when I just signed myself a filthy, stinking, rich contract extension and Zach Wilson is the number two quarterback on the Atlanta Falcons, yeah, I think I'll be feeling pretty good. No one's going to be bringing up. So what did it feel like on draft night when you were drafted by number 15 by the Patriots and Zach Wilson was drafted number two by the Jets? Were you feeling anger? Were you feeling embarrassment? Were you feeling frustration? Was that the chip on your shoulder that you need to perform at the level level that you've been performing at? All that kind of nonsense and all that kind of bullshit. You know, so, hey, hey there really wasn't that much drama. There really wasn't that much intrigue. Everything basically went... According to plan, man, once the um, once the San Francisco 49ers went with Trey Lance. So we'll go ahead and we'll talk about that on the podcast today. What podcast are we talking about? Hey, man, wake up. Let me tell you. Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell's World in Sports with who? Me, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Man, not, can, can, not, not even Jake from State Farm can help the Packers. In this situation, not even Aaron Rodgers uh, back up on the commercial, you know, that same commercial where, you know, Drake was the uh, stand in for um, for uh, Jake from State Farm. What is his last name anyway? Is his last name from State Farm from is from his middle name. My name, my full name is Jake from State Farm. Is State Farm one word or two. I don't know. I got to ask somebody. I got to ask a neighbor like a good neighbor about that. But um. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers went number, I'm sorry, Aaron Rodgers is up there wanting to trade the offseason of drama when we're speaking about franchise quarterbacks continue. Man, all my children, General Hospital, days of our lives, they got nothing on these guys, man. I haven't watched Luke and Laura and Bo and Hope and Jesse and Angie. I haven't watched anything like that in about, I don't know, going on 30, 35 years, man. But I tell you, from what I remember, ain't no kind of drama like a QB drama when a franchise QB drama wants to be traded. Now we see it with Deshaun Watson. We saw it with Russell Wilson. We saw it with Carson Wentz. We saw it. Now we're seeing it now with um, Aaron Rodgers. Now Aaron Rodgers is the next one to uh, say, get me out of here. I want to uh, go somewhere else. I'm not interested in coming back with the Green Bay Packers. So exactly what are we talking about here, man? What's your thoughts? What's your opinions? What's your feelings? You like Green Bay. You're an Aaron Rodgers guy. Aaron Rodgers with the swag. Aaron Rodgers with the coolness. Aaron Rodgers with the um, Jeopardy pedigree now. So what's your thoughts and feelings about this, man? The future. What holds for Aaron Rodgers? I know it's a simple enigma wrapped in a beautiful mystery of ridiculousness about the situation. But, you know, Adam Schefter reported on Thursday before the start of the NFL draft that reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers is so disgruntled with the Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return from the return to the team. Now, when someone says that, the first thing is like, okay, hold on for a second. Before we start talking about him doing a James Harden situation, he's disgruntled with the Packers and he's told some within the organization that he does not want to return with the team. Now, breaking that down, 
Does that mean that he's going to go all to Sean Watson? Does that mean that he's going to go at James Harden? Does that mean that he's going to be holding out? Does that mean that, yeah, I don't want to be back with the Packers, but what other kind of choice do I have? So I'll be back with the Packers, but I really don't want to be back with the Packers. And when you're talking about telling some in the organization, who are, who is he telling? Is he telling the coach? Is he telling the GM? Is he telling the quarterback coach? Is he telling some of his buddies on the Packers team itself, some of his uh, his uh, teammates? I mean, who are we talking about here? Is he telling someone of any real importance? What's going on here? Now, the Packers are aware of Rodgers' feelings, so they're so concerned about him that they had team president and former Washington football safety Mark Murphy, general manager Brian Gutekirst, and head coach uh, Matt LaFleur fly out to uh, California on separate trips to meet with Rodgers at various points in this offseason to beg and plead and cajole. I don't know exactly what those talks were about. We they weren't we weren't privy to them, but, uh, you know, it would be interesting because, you know, as of right now, reportedly, there is no, like, real concrete reason. We can, you know, we can think about it. We can draw up conclusions, but... Rogers himself has not come out and say, look, this is my thoughts. These are my feelings about what's going on with the um, Green Bay Packers, the relationship that I have currently with the Green Bay Packers. And again, how strong do I, how strong are my feelings toward being the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers? Do I want a divorce? And I don't care who I have to drag through the mud to get that divorce. I want it. Or are we just going to be like millions upon millions of husbands and wives in a relationship just a marriage of convenience, you know, we're there doing it for the sake of the kids. Don't really want to be here, but fuck it, you know, might as well screw it. So don't know, don't know. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see how much he's dug in. We'll see how much the Packers want to go for, forward with this. Do they have to trade them? They don't have to trade them. But then again, we don't know exactly what this is all about. But uh, there's now reports that, you know, he's he's pretty much dug in, even though he won't tell anybody. All right. All right. The first thing that you should do if you're Aaron Rodgers, if you really want to go out there. And look, I've never asked or been asking or demanding a trade from anywhere. But, you know, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm, I'm not having my publicist. I'm not having Adam Schefter. I'm not having Mike Florio. I'm not having uh, anybody. I'm getting out there and I'm saying, hey, look, and I'm not going to be lambasting. I'm not going to be embarrassing. I'm not going to be insulting. I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'm not going to do any name calling. I'm just going to say, hey, look, you know what? Um, this is a situation where at this point in my career, I want to play somewhere else. I don't want to play with the Green Bay Packers anymore. It's been a wonderful ride. I enjoyed every moment of Green Bay. Green Bay will always be my home. I love the fans. It's the greatest NFL franchise in history. We have the greatest fans in the uh, NFL. We, I came here as a young lad, and this organization and this community took me from being that young, immature, cocky lad to the person that I am today, someone that I'm very comfortable with, with myself, and I just want to thank you so much. This will always be a place of my heart for me, but um, I just don't want to be here anymore. And unfortunately, I don't want to get to the point where this has to get ugly. I don't want to do this. I want it to be amicable. I want to work with the Packers to see what we can do to get the best situation for both him, for the organization and me. But I don't want this to get ugly. But if they force me to where I have to retire, if it forced me, not, not I don't want to say retire, well, he shouldn't use the word retire, but 
Aaron Rodgers to say, if the Packers force me to make decisions um, based on the fact that they don't want to help me, if I have to do some things that I might not want to do, that I'm not planning to do, I hope that the organization doesn't put me in the position to do that. I will if I have to, but I'm letting you know now, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want things to get ugly. I don't want things to get public. I don't want mudslinging. I don't want he say, she say. I don't want innuendo. I don't want last resort. I don't want desperation in terms of relaying my feelings about not wanting to be with the Packers. But if I have to do that, if I have to go down that road, if I have to travel to that town, if I have to go ahead and do that, let it be known it's Green Bay's fault that they're making me do it, not mine. So in this game of chicken, who's exactly going to get barbecued and who is going to be the one that's going to be Foghorn and Lakehorn? What? Huh? Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So I'll be getting in and talking about that on the podcast today. The regular season in the NBA, less than 10 games left. The race for the play-in games are, are, to me, intriguing, compelling, competitive. They're just as much as those adjectives, the play-in games that they are for the number one spots in the Eastern Conference, where you have Milwaukee. Milwaukee's pretty much out of it, but you now you have a situation where it's Philadelphia, and the Brooklyn Nets were vying for that number one spot. I believe Philadelphia is a game ahead, ahead right now in the spot in the standings for that. So the playing games are pretty good. If you take a look at it, if the season ended today, ah, that old bullshit, huh? If the season ended today, if the season ended today, I mean, you'd be talking about Golden State versus Portland. You'll be talking about Charlotte versus Boston. So you'll be talking about matchups like Steph Curry versus Damian Lillard. There's a situation where you could have, instead of Portland, you could have Golden State versus the Dallas Mavericks. And you could have a situation in the playing game, the number 10 Golden State Warriors versus the number 7 seeded Los Angeles Lakers. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be intriguing? Wouldn't that get some my balls? And you get LeBron James in a play-in game, a winner-go-home game, or a win that moves on and, you know, jeopardizing the chance for the Lakers and LeBron to miss the playoffs? 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 You don't think that would get some interest? You don't think that would get some ratings? Maybe not NFL ratings, but shit. Hey, you get you get LeBron in the play-in game. Yeah, I would... I would uh, define the play-in game as a success uh, for this season if you could do that. But LeBron's being salty about it. He's being angry about it and talking about folks to be getting fired. Come on now, LeBron. You know, in the world that we're living in, right, COVID going on and all this kind of stuff, the economy's trying to rebound. We've got ourselves someone who actually is a president for real. Come on now. You know, we don't need that type of negativity talk. Come on now. Love, peace, unity, harmony. Come on, LeBron. I know you're a little frustrated. He made those comments after a loss against the Toronto Raptors where he re-injured his ankle. So I know that was more out of frustration than we was talking about them. This bullshit about uh, the play-in game. This is terrible. And, you know, for the most part, he did express dissatisfaction with the notion of a play-in game last season or when this was being brought up. So this is not so much, uh, you know, a deal where many people are saying, yeah, LeBron was just, you know, dancing on the ceiling like... Uh, Lionel Richie and dancing in the streets and doing the boogaloo like forever when the Lakers were nowhere near 
being put in that situation. Well, no, LeBron's been pretty consistent about the fact that, hey, you know what? The playing game sucks. I don't like it. And, uh, you know, we'll move on. He didn't, you know, talk about people getting fired, but uh, he's always been a uh, proponent of the play-in game. But it might be a situation where he is. Man, wouldn't that be something? I mean, everything sets up. Everything sets up. Now, if, if the Lakers continue to falter, good win the other night against the Denver Nuggets, great block by AD to save the game on the right side, three-point shot. But um, the way the Lakers are playing right now and the injury status for LeBron and Anthony Davis, I'm sorry, man. I don't see how they're going to beat Yeah, I'll say it. The Robert Sarver, Phoenix Suns. I don't see in a seven-game series how they're going to beat the Utah Jazz, even though Utah is no longer the number one seed in the Western Conference. I don't see how that squad, the way it is right now, is going to beat the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. So LA's got some issues to deal with, and it all depends, and it's all surrounding injury, and it's all surrounding health. And that's not something that you can, you know, click on or click off. This is not something where you can have a team meeting and folks get folks let out their feelings and thoughts and frustrations and opinions to everybody and everybody says kumbaya and now we're all on the same page and everything is back to normal and we're all good no this is not something where you know it's been a long season so let's turn on that switch and we're good to go and we'll just raise our intensity and focus and passion level to another the playoff level intensity and we'll be fine now with the uh with the lakers right now and with lebron james with a sore ankle i mean he's a super freak in terms of a genetic freak but He's still 30-something years old. LeBron just mentioned before that I don't know if he's going to, you know, he said himself, I don't know if I'm ever going to be 100%. I don't think that's 100% credible, but LeBron knows his body a lot more than any of us. But um, at least for this season, forget being a, LeBron's not going to be 100%. Games of critical mass, mass of these, of these playoffs, LeBron ain't being 100%. He ain't going to be 55, 60%. And AD is still getting back into the groove again. So what are we going to do if you're a Los Angeles Lakers fan? What are your expectations? What are your expectations for that? So all of those things we will be discussing. Oh, oh, and to end the podcast today, I got to say, um, for my community, for the black community, there was a story that I saw um, involving youth and adults at an AAU basketball game down in Oakland. Man, we got to do better. For the black community, I'm, I'm speaking about the black community right now. We, we, we've got to do better. We have got to do better. Shameful. I'm embarrassed. I'm disappointed. Because we got to do better. Really, you just, thank, c- congratulations. You just gave fodder. You just gave ammunition to the fucking race-baiting assholes on Fox and other places where they can throw this shit in our face. And what's going to be our excuse? What's going to be our, yeah, but? We have none. None in this situation. None in this situation. And it's one instance. I understand that. But the fact that after this situation happened, I haven't heard from Malcolm Jenkins. I haven't heard from LeBron James. I haven't heard from Chris Paul. I haven't heard from the NBA. I haven't heard from Major League Baseball. I haven't heard from the NHL. I haven't heard from anybody. I haven't heard from anybody of consequence. And because I do a sports talk uh, podcast and mainly centered around sports, I haven't haven't seen any athlete of consequence come out and say something and do something 
and say what happened was wrong and I'm embarrassed and this is bullshit and we should be ashamed of ourselves. And no one has come to the defense. No one has come to comfort the one kid in this story that needs to be comforted, that needs to be treated like if this was a black kid and this happened to a black kid by a white kid, where are all the uh, celebrities? Where are all the uh, where are all the leagues in this? Where's LeBron in this? Nothing on this Twitter. Nothing on social media. Nothing. Nothing to what happened to this kid by this black kid. Unacceptable. Inexcusable. I'll get into that at the end of the program. At the end of the podcast. So, um, yeah, man, that's what we're going to be talking about today on Wendell's World of Sports. So um, before I begin the podcast, before I start talking about the NFL draft and getting into all of that, all I want you guys to do is rise to the top. I'm going to be starting my sport podcast right after we hear Cameron. So senoritas and senoritas and senors, get ready for the podcast. Hit it. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom, namaste. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo y Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Talking about what's happening, talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, what's going down in the world of sports. So the 2021 NFL draft happened. It's over. Time to talk about it. Time to get down with it. Time to dissect it. Time to uh, let you hear my thoughts and opinions and feelings about it. Um, you know, it was what it was. Now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to sit here and give the ABCDs and this team won and that team won. This team don't know what the hell they're doing. And that team don't know what the hell they're doing. And now the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Jets and the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, they're all set to uh, go ahead and win a championship because of their first round pick, because of their fifth round pick, because of their third round pick, because they traded for this guy or they moved back down to get that guy. I don't, I can't, not going there, not going to do it. I'm not a draft guru. I'm not Todd McShay. I'm not Charles Davis. I'm not Mel Kuyper. Not going to go there. Not going to do it. But, you know, the storylines coming into the draft last uh, Thursday is the fact that, look, we all knew that Jacksonville was going to 
draft Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. We knew for the most part that the New York Jets were going to go with Zach Wilson from BYU. What exactly would the San Francisco 49ers do with the third pick? Would they go ahead and get Mac Jones, which when they first made the trade on March 26th to move up from number 12 to number three, the thought process was, well, this was to go ahead and get themselves Mac Jones. Many people thought that, you know, they had a quarterback in mind, but the San Francisco 49er brass and, you know, during this time, how much are you going to believe them? You know, it's up to, uh, it's up to your liking. But for the most part, the 49ers, when they moved to get to the number three pick in the draft, it wasn't because they had a certain quarterback in mind. It was a situation where, look, at number 12, we might be, if we, if we stay in put, Let's say, for instance, again, they go ahead and say, we really like Mac Jones, or we really like Trey Lance, or we really like Justin Fields, this, that, and the other. And we sit at number 12 because we figured, you know what? Those are the three quarterbacks that we like. Trevor Lawrence is going to be going number one. The Jets are going to be taking Zach Wilson, number two. We'll sit here at number 12. We'll keep our capital. We'll do what we need to do. And we'll get one of the three other three quarterbacks. We can't go wrong with either one of the three. We have Kyle Shanahan, who can turn any chicken shit into chicken sh- chicken salad. <clears throat> he is the <clears throat> Alex Gornashelli. He is the Bobby Flay. He is the Michael Simon of quarterbacks, quarterback grooming. You take a piece of clay or you pick a, you know, you take something and he can turn it into a gourmet, <clears throat> a gourmet meal. So the situation would be, hey, you know what? We sit at number 12. We're cool. We'll get either one of those guys and we'll be fine. But the thinking was, well, wait a minute now. Okay. Lawrence is going number one. Zach Wilson is going number two. What happens if another team trades with the Miami Dolphins and they get themselves a Trey Lance or they get themselves a Justin Fields? Then you have the Atlanta Falcons. What are they going to do? What's happening if they say, you know what? Matt, um, Matt Ryan only has a few more years left and we need to start going ahead and getting ourselves in position for a contingency plan when Mac Jones is no longer, Mac Jones, Jesus, when Matt Ryan is no longer able to be the starting quarterback. So we'll go ahead with the number four draft pick and we'll select a Justin Fields or we'll select a Mac Jones. All of a sudden now you have Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, a Trey Lance, and a Justin Fields already gone. So even before the 49ers could even think about maybe deciding upon which quarterback would be best for them. They're left with only one quarterback to deal with. And you would still have to think that, well, what are the Washington Snyderskins going to do? What are the Chicago Bears going to do? We better put ourselves in the best position possible to go ahead and draft ourselves the quarterback that we want. So that was really the impetus. That was really the idea for the 49ers moving from the number 12 spot to the number three spot to give them a variety of opportunities to select the best quarterback available. So when they made the move, everybody was sitting there talking about Mac Jones, Mac Jones. Then Justin Fields had a second pro day in which the brass from the 49ers, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan went down to, um, to, um, visit and go down there to take a look at Justin Fields for the second time. And, you know, there was scuttlebutt and there was thought and there was a pontification about, man, really, the 49ers are going to move all the way up, give up all of those capitals, give up, give up all of that capital, give up all of those first round draft picks to basically select a uh, glorified um, uh, quarterback game manager type. I mean, what's going to be happening? It's going to turn into a better Alex Smith. He's going to turn into a better Jimmy Garoppolo type because of his athleticism, because of his arm strength. We kind of know 
what the ceiling is going to be like, but damn, really? We're going to move all the way up to select that or select him with that? So that started the whole, this has got to be a situation where they're going to be either going for Justin Fields or Trey Lance. But, you know, when everything was all said and done, the San Francisco 49ers shocked some, surprised some, but for the most part, it was like, okay, I can see exactly where the 49ers were going with this, especially when the report came out that on the second pro day that Trey Lance had, not only did the duo of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch for the 49ers come down or go up or go across the Fargo to go ahead and watch him uh, perform, they were also uh, the foundation in terms of putting his pro day together, and they were also the ones that suggested that Trey Lance get with quarterback guru or quarterback coach or personal quarterback coach John Beck, who was highly regarded. The 49ers said, go with him. Get yourself ready. <clears throat> That's exactly what uh, uh, Trey Lance did. So as the situation got nearer in terms of who the 49ers were going to draft, it came to the conclusion that, you know what? If they don't go with Matt Jones, then... Trey Lance is going to be their guy. So, you know, that was that was the deal. So, depending upon that, then after that, exactly what would happen with the 49ers, what would happen after the 49ers drafted their quarterback? What would become of Justin Fields? What would happen with Matt Jones? Would this be a situation where one of those guys fell? Would this be a situation where one of the teams in, who were drafting in the lower tier part of the draft would make a move, make a trade, make an acquisition to move up to draft one of these guys with this elicit a move by the New England Patriots to uh, get into a better position, trade with the Dallas Cowboys, trade with the Detroit Lions to get themselves in the position and maybe get themselves a Mac Jones or a Justin Fields. Exactly what was going to happen, as I mentioned before, New England, Washington, Chicago. So that was the intrigue heading into this draft. So again, the first two picks, no surprise at all. The third pick, somewhat of a surprise, but from the outside looking in, from everything that was being put down, from all the clues and from all the evidence, hey man, Trey Lance really shouldn't have surprised anybody when Roger Goodell went ahead and um, said the uh, name of Trey Lance for the San Francisco 49ers after making the selection or after announcing the selection of the Jacksonville Jaguars and the new in the um, New York Jets and it sounded something like this with the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence quarterback Clemson with the second pick in the 2021 NFL draft the New York Jets select Zach Wilson quarterback BYU with the third pick in the 2021 NFL draft the San Francisco 49ers select Trey Lance quarterback North Dakota State and it is the Bison Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Bing, bang, boom. And uh, it really set up set up the domino effect, so really nothing uh, intriguing happening. The Atlanta Falcons said we're going to hang on to Matt Ryan and bolster our receiving core by getting what many people think is the most talented player 
in the draft in Kyle Pitts. And then the Miami Dolphins wanted to bolster their wide receiving core, give uh, Tua Tungabailoa a little bit more help. So they went ahead and drafted Jamar Chase. And then um, the Cincinnati Bengals, no, I'm sorry, the Cincinnati Bengals selected Jamar Chase. The um, the uh, Miami Dolphins went ahead and selected Jalen uh, Waddle, excuse me. Then the uh, Detroit Lions went ahead and got themselves Panay Sewell. So everything basically fell into place. And for the most part, that was where everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they started drafting J.C. Horn and Micah Parsons and Patrick Tertain. And for the most part, once the quarterbacks were selected, once the running backs were selected, everybody else, for the most part, just kind of tuned out. Because, come on, man, you're really going to try to tell me you're going to try to break down the offensive tackle, the offensive guard, the, 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 the quarterbacks? And the uh, line, offensive lineman that went in the first round, yeah, sure you are. So the big whoop-de-doo was Trey Lance being drafted by the San Francisco 49ers, which many people really, if you think about it, and I guess it's not too much hyperbole to say this, but this is the biggest move that an NFL organization has made in terms of what they did to draft this player with such limited experience and the moves that they made to take them at the position that they did biggest move in decades. And again, I'll talk about, you know, where Trey Lance was drafted. San Francisco had to give up two future first round draft choices and a third round pick in 2022 with the Miami dolphins to move up to uh number three to take this guy. So once they moved up to that position in the draft, any QB that they would have taken would have been the most scrutinized player in the draft and would have the most pressure on those guys or on that quarterback going in the next season, regardless if he plays or not, regardless of what Trevor Lawrence does, regardless of what Zach Wilson does, regardless of what Mac Jones and Justin Fields does. The acquisition at the number three spot with Trey Lance with the San Francisco 49ers, this is going to reverberate in terms of positive or negative for the next eight to ten years. Easily, easily, because look, each quarterback outside of Trevor Lawrence, you make you what the San Francisco 49ers did to give up so much draft picks to move up to where they moved up. You do that for a Trevor Lawrence type. You do that to where it's kind of like a no brainer. If someone was going to do that for a Deshaun Watson, you understood. If someone was going to do that for a Peyton Manning type, understood. If someone was going to uh, do that for a high caliber know a lot more about him, the resume is a lot more thicker, there's a lot more highlights, there's a lot more film, there's a lot more certainty surrounding this guy in terms of what he can be as an NFL player, if he truly is going to be that NFL perennial all-pro, is he? if he's truly going to be that NFL franchise player, yeah, you go ahead and you do that. Anybody who would have tried to make a move with the Jacksonville Jaguars and offer all of that draft capital in even more to move up the draft, Trevor Lawrence, number one, it's understandable because of the resume that Trevor Lawrence has and the expectations and the talent and the ability that Trevor Lawrence has. We can see it. We've seen it for three years. Outside of him, any other quarterback that people are talking about, Fields, Wilson, Jones, Lance, any other quarterback, they have enough questions about how they'll do as an NFL franchise quarterback and enough flaws for the naysayers to say that they won't make it to uh, being the quarterback that the fan base and the organization expects them to be. There's enough questions and flaws with those quarterbacks for the San Francisco 49ers. Everything that they did to move up, huge, huge. 
Man, nobody can sit up here and tell me that Zach Wilson is going to be the next Joe Montana for the New York Jets. Well, we're talking about you know, a guy who's, well, he's slider built. He's got good height at 6'3", but he needs a more girth on that frame, and he doesn't have the frame to put a lot of weight on it. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, because of his frame, he ain't going to be topping out at 6'3", 240, or 6'3", 220. I mean, hell, if he gets to 225, 230, God bless him. But look, I mean, Zach Wilson had one great year against mediocre competition compared to two average seasons against the same competition. So people are talking about, yeah, in his junior year, he did great against this school and he did great against that school. Well, the year before, he didn't do that great. He also played in an offensive line, which gave him all day to throw the ball. And also, he went 2-4 and four against the top 25 teams during his career. He struggled with accuracy and decision-making against Coastal Carolina, the the best team that BYU played last season, that was his worst game of the season, and BYU lost that game. And they weren't playing Alabama. They weren't playing Ohio State. They weren't playing Clemson. Hell, they weren't even playing Texas A&M. Hell, they weren't even playing doggone, doggone Georgia Tech. So with that type of deal, how in the world, again, are we going to say for sure that Zach Wilson is going to be that guy that everybody expects him to be. Why? Because he made a halfway decent throw in, in shorts and a t-shirt during a pro day. Trey Lance, again, the move for Trey Lance, the 49ers, what they did to get Trey Lance is a risk. It's ballsy. It's bold. It's the most ballsy, bold move in the last couple of decades. You're speaking about Trey Lance, a guy who's highly inexperienced. He has just 318 pass attempts in college when most prospects have somewhere around a 1,000 for talented evaluators to look at. He hadn't played football in over, the, in over a year. The one exhibition he had, he was 14 for 27. Okay, people talk about the size and the strength and his ability to run the football and everything. Hey, man, we're in the NFL. But one thing that we're not going to be doing for Trey Lance, we're not going to be running the football on a consistent basis. I mean, he, he doesn't have Lamar Jackson-type uber-athleticism. And for Mina Kynes as knowledgeable as she is to sit there and talk about because of his size, Kyle Shanahan is going to be running plays for Trey Lance to be trucking linebackers. Let me tell you something. Trey Lance is not going to be trucking linebackers because Kyle Shanahan ain't a damn fool. These run pass options or these QB run plays, that shit ain't going to be happening with uh, Trey Lance. Are you kidding me? Hell no. Let me tell you something. If you want to sit there and talk about, yeah, we're going to go ahead and we're going to treat Trey Lance like a semi-running back, or we're going to treat him about 10, 15% of the season like he's Earl Campbell or Chuck Muncie or LaDamian Tomlinson or John Riggins, where he's trucking over linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks and such, um, should I point to you the career of Cam Newton? Cam Newton, who was as big and strong and athletic, as a linebacker, as a safety, to be able to truck people. Uh, how many years now has he been injured? How many years now has he been dealing with nagging injuries? How much of his career has been shortened? How much of his career effectiveness has been shortened because of injury, because he ran the football, because the Carolina Panthers used him sort of like a kind of like a running back? No. So if Cam Newton can't get it done for any long period of time, what makes you think Trey Lance is going to be able to do that? 
Now, there might be one or two plays a game where Trey Lance might have to uh, run the football or do some things, but you know what? Fuck that bullshit, man. Trey Lance, if he's going to be the franchise quarterback, we're not interested in you trucking anybody. If you see a linebacker coming up to tackle you, you don't truck him, you slide. <laughs> we're not trucking. Quarterbacks don't truck in the NFL. Now, if they do that against one double-A competition, fine. If you want to go ahead and do that in North Dakota State, if you want to do that against your rival South Dakota State, if you want to do that against Youngtown State, if you want to do that against Montana, if you want to do that against Montana State or Montana Tech or any other big sky, semi-big sky school up there where their linebackers are 6'1", 220, and you're 6'4", 240, fine, have at it. But in the NFL, that shit don't play when you're a quarterback. Avoid the contact slide. So my whole deal is that the notion that one of the reasons or one of the advantages that Trey Lance has and why the San Francisco 49ers moving up and doing all what they needed to do to get to the position to draft Trey Lance is because, well, he can start trucking linebackers or he can start seeing what he can do to run over quarterbacks and safeties. No, no, throw that out of the equation. That has nothing to do in terms of, wow, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. That'll be an advantage for us. No, no. Two minutes left to go in the Super Bowl, fourth and six, and you're five, you're one yard short, and you need to go ahead and run through a linebacker to try to get a first down in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter, which you're behind by four or five or two. Yeah, you go ahead and do that. Other than that, slide. <laughs> so, yeah, Trey Lance, you know, so Trey Lance, as a quarterback, not as a trucking quarterback, but as a playmaking franchise quarterback, still has enough questions and doubt and mystery behind them to where what the San Francisco 49ers did to move up to make that pick ballsy. and something we haven't seen in decades concerning a move of such consequence and such um, ballsiness in the NFL. It would have been the same with Zach Wilson because, as I mentioned before, his slight build, his lack of competition, the 2-4 and four record he had against top 25 teams, the fact that when everybody is jumping and screaming and shouting and hallelujah, the fact of a wonderful season that he had last season, the best team that he played against, he was mediocre at best. The fact that he's going to be drafted now number two, play for a dysfunctional franchise with the New York Jets and ask him to uh, be the savior? Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. But it ain't a slam dunk. It ain't something like that. It ain't uh, a situation where it's uh, no doubt about it. So you have Wilson. You have Trey Lance. I mean, Justin Fields. Hey, if the 49ers would have selected Justin Fields instead of Trey Lance, it would have been a situation where, like, damn, really? I mean, Trey, um, Justin Fields is all that? He's got poor pocket awareness in college. Needs to get quicker working through progressions. Below average field for ed rush, uh, edge uh, pressure. Running himself into pressure points. We saw that game against Northwestern. We saw that game against Indiana. We see that the quarterback system that Ryan Day had in Ohio State, we saw... Dwayne Haskins put up a boatload of impressive numbers with that offense. What did he do in the pros? Not much. So San Francisco is going to move all the way up to select Justin Fields. That move would have been ballsy. Mac Jones, unlimited athletic ability, 
think he's more, as I, as I mentioned before, a J- Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Alex Smith system type of quarterback. Played one season with the best offensive talent in the court, in the country by far. Hey, man, again, all of those quarterbacks drafted, all of those quarterbacks that would have been drafted by the San Francisco 49ers would have put the most pressure on that quarterback moving forward, more than Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick. Regardless, again, if Trey Lance plays or if he doesn't play, play he's still going to have that pressure on him because of what the San Francisco 49ers had to do to get him. If Trevor Lawrence starts off slowly in Jacksonville, for the most part, Urban Meyer isn't going to lose his job. If Zach Wilson goes through growing pains in New York, uh, Robert Slayla is not going to lose his job. If Trey Lance doesn't perform really well, relatively quickly, maybe sooner than people would would like him to do, Kyle Shanahan's going to take some shit. John Lynch is going to take some shit because, oh, guess what? You know what the Miami Dolphins did this season as far as drafting Jaden Waddle to put with uh, Tua Tungabailoa to give him some help? You know what the Cincinnati Bengals did by drafting Jamar Chase to give him some help with Joe Burrow? Uh, Trey Lance is not going to have that. Uh, it's not going to have that opportunity. He's not going to have that advantage. Why? Because the San Francisco 49ers traded their first round pick to the Miami Dolphins for Trey Lance. So if they wanted to get themselves a number one wide receiver, I don't know what the wide receiving core is going to be looking like next uh, NFL draft. We just got through with this one. But if there's going to be like four or five, or there's going to be like two or three elite number one receivers that are top 10, top 15 available in next year's draft, uh, it would have been nice for the San Francisco 49ers, say for instance, if they're coming off a 6-11 season or a 7-10 and 10 season, that they could go ahead and draft one of those guys. But because they gave up their number one pick for the upcoming draft to the Miami Dolphins, they're not going to have that opportunity, which is going to hinder the growth and development of Trey Lance even more. Because if you take a look at the San Francisco 49ers right now, they don't have themselves an elite wide receiver. They don't have themselves a true number one receiver. You could probably say that their best receiving target is George Kittle. It's George Little, excuse me. Little Kittle, Bitten Biddle. So it's, it's, it's going to be something, man. It's going to be something. And look, all of these quarterbacks have something on them in terms of, you know, hey, we're going to be watching. Jared Goff didn't have the pressure. Carson Wentz didn't have the pressure. Going back a little bit, Marcus Mariota didn't have the pressure. Jameis Winston didn't have the pressure. Not even someone like a Mitchell Trubisky didn't have the pressure that I think that the quarterbacks that are drafted in this year's class are going to have. Trevor Lawrence is expected to be a generational great Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's going to one of the more dysfunctional franchises in the NFL being coached by a guy who hasn't spent one second in the pros as anything, not a player, not a coach, not an assistant, not as a front office guy, nothing. A guy who drafted Travis ATM in the first round and talk about, yeah, we're going to use him as a, as a third down back. Really? What? Huh? So, you know, there's a situation right there. Yes, Jacksonville has a lot of cap space. Yes, Jacksonville is loaded with some good young players. But still, this is a situation where Lawrence is going to be the hub. Lawrence is going to be the engine to get that thing a-rolling. And when was the last time with the off year of a couple of years ago with Blake Bortles on the center, but they had themselves a dynamite defense that Jacksonville was a team of consequence. Long, long time. After that, you had to go through the Mark Brunel years 
Tom Coughlin years before you can speak about something positive on a consistent basis with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Trevor Lawrence is walking into a place where there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to perform. Again, not just with, not just because of the resume and the expectations and the talent and all the hoopla and all the hullabaloo, but also because of the franchise that he's going to, to turn that dormant franchise into something decent. Wilson is supposed to be a franchise great quarterback, the best quarterback, franchise quarterback for that team since Joe Namath, right? Right? I mentioned some of the other the other um, quarterbacks that the Jets have had, right? I mean, can we go through the uh, Ken Davis or the Ken O'Briens? Can we go through the Richard Todds? Can we go through the, oh my goodness gracious, the free agent guy that they got from the uh, Neil O'Donnell, thank you. Can we go through the Neil O'Donnell era? Can we go through the T- Vinny Testaverde era? Can we go through um, the Richard Todd era of New York Jets quarterbacks? Do you want to go through all them? I mean, this is a situation here, if you think about it, hell, not just with the New York Jets organization, but if you take a look at quarterbacking in the New York metropolitan area, excluding Buffalo, because the answer there would be easy if you put Buffalo along with the Jets and the Giants. The fact that Zach Wilson might, I mean, he has a chance really, if you think about it, to be the greatest quarterback that the New York City area, the New York metropolitan area of the four, five, six, seven boroughs, how many boroughs were out there in that godforsaken city? He might be the best quarterback you ever play there. What's his competition? Phil Sims? Jeff Hostetler? Eli Manning? Joe Namath. My point is, is that there's going to be a lot of expectations for Zach Wilson to get things growing, get things going, and especially do it to rescue a team that's known for its ineptitude and dysfunction. Thanks, Woody. For the past five seasons, the Jets are 23 and 57, four double-digit losing seasons. They had a little bit of a reprieve when Rex Ryan after head coach took them to two AFC championships. But for the most part, I mean, that team has been a laughingstock. That team has been a joke. And then some kid from some nowhere, Utah, who played at BYU for three seasons, all of a sudden now he's going to be the guy that's going to turn things around? I don't know, but there's going to be pressure. He ain't going to the Atlanta Falcons. He ain't going to the Indianapolis Colts. He ain't going to the Seattle Seahawks. He ain't going to one of those one of those uh, teams. He ain't going to one of those markets. He's going to the New York City market. He's going to the number one media market in this country. And he's going to expect that there's going to be expectations to do well because of where he's drafted. Yikes. Gulp. And being selected number two didn't help that either in terms of him easing into a situation where he can succeed, where he's He's going to be able to take his time where they can nurture him, bring him along. Not going to be happening. All of this bullshit about, oh, yeah, back in the day, you know, the quarterback got sit on the bench for a couple of years and they finally put him in the game and he could play. Well, I mean, you know, we still see examples of that. Now, we're not talking about multiple, multiple years, but we've seen quarterbacks sit out half a season, almost all of a season. In fact, the best quarterback that this game has right now, sorry, Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback this game has right now and a generational talent by all books and fields of things, and the fact that this guy is probably going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Patrick Mahomes, he didn't come right out the gate and start his first season. He had the opportunity. He had the advantage of learning under Andy Reid and learning under Alex Smith and taking his time and letting that 
awesome talent marinate until it was ready to get him on the field. The New York Jets don't have that. Who are the, who, who are you going to put there? Who, who's going to start the season for the New York Jets if not Zach Wilson? Who's going to start for the Jacksonville Jaguars if not Trevor Lawrence? There's no one out there. What, Gardner Minshew? Is Gardner Minshew even on the Jaguars anymore? Justin Fields going to the Chicago Bears? Expected to be the best quarterback in Chicago since when? What, fuck? Sid Luckman? Back in the 1940s? Pull that name out of your ass every once in a while when you're bringing up Chicago quarterbacks. His development, speaking of fields, his development and success is going to determine the job security of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. So, again, these quarterbacks are under tremendous pressure, but I still feel Matt Jones, right? Matt Jones probably has the easiest one because the organization, the New England Patriots organization, is so dominated by Bill Belichick and everything is so it's, it's so understood that everything runs through Bill Belichick that if Belichick says, you know what, we're going to sit Mac Jones for a season, who's going to go ahead and question that? And the fact that Mac Jones was selected with the number 15 pick and not the number one pick or not the number two pick gives him an advantage in terms of, you know what, we don't need to rush. Um, we don't need to rush Mac Jones out there. And again, when your coach is one of the greatest coaches in sports of all time, who's going to sit there after week seven when the Patriots are two and five and Cam Newton's injured and Jared Stidham isn't getting any type of um, positive impact on the on the scoreboard and everything like that? What, who, who, Mike Reese? What reporter out there in Boston is going to go up to Bill Belichick and say, you know what, Mac Jones should be starting. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know? Who's going to buy that nonsense? He's going to take out his six rings or eight rings or how many rings he has and says, kiss my fucking ass. Or better yet, kiss my fucking rings, biatch. So, you know, for Matt Jones, he's in the most advantageous position in terms of his growth and development because he's not asking to be the guy that's following Tom Brady. He's not asking the guy to uh, be that guy to automatically turn this thing around. He's not being the guy. He's not going to be the star of the show in terms of why the New England Patriots turn the season around. If Mac Jones comes in and he plays well and the New England Patriots finish this season 12-5, and five, it's going to be because Josh McDaniels is a genius and Bill Belichick is a genius. Check the resume, biatch. So, hey man, you know, the rest of those guys, good luck to you. But with all that being said, with all of those things being said, with the San Francisco 49ers, this is, this is up, this is, um, this is a situation where, hey, man, if this doesn't work for the 49ers in 2024, 2023, the San Francisco 49ers could be looking for another head coach, and Kyle Shanahan can go back to being an offensive coordinator, and John Lynch can go back into the booth calling games for Fox or CBS if this doesn't work out. If this fails, if this plunders, this is it, man. This is Kyle Shanahan. His fucking reputation is on the line. Give me chicken shit. I'll turn it into chicken salad, man. I'll turn it into chicken cordon bleu. You give me, like on chop, you give me fucking ham hock eggs, sweet bread, vinegar wine, and rice droppings, and I'll turn that shit into something where Alex Gornishelli says, hey, that's what I'm talking about. Mark Murphy says, go ahead with your bad self. And uh, Amanda Freitag says, delicioso. That's what Kyle Shanahan is doing right now with, with Trey Lance. He's not taking, he's not taking Deshaun Watson. 
He's not taking Russell Wilson. He's not taking Carson Wentz. He's not taking someone like that and saying, let me uh, go ahead and see what I can do with this cat. We all know what those guys can do under those in, under proper situations. He's taking someone that outside of Fargo, North Dakota, and the opponents that played against them, nobody knows about in terms of fans with Trey Lance, inexperience, low level of playing as far as quarterbacks is concerned. So we'll see. We'll see. Now, the, the best thing is, and one of the things I guess – one of the reasons why the 49ers drafted him was the fact that, look, you know, at North Dakota State, while, yes, they weren't playing against Ohio State, yes, they weren't playing against Michigan, yes, they weren't playing against USC, yes, they weren't playing against North Carolina, yes, they weren't playing against Georgia or Tennessee, but the level of competition might not have been too much of a deterrent for the 49ers to draft Trey Lance because within the system that Lance played at North Dakota State, they put a lot on his plate in terms of asking him to, um, you know, spit out lengthy terminology in the huddle, handle NFL-style play-action dropbacks from under center and call protections at the line of scrimmage during the interview or during the process, the draft process, when Lance met with Shanahan and John Lynch. They were absolutely, speaking of Lynch and um, Shanahan, they were absolutely blown away by the aptitude and the football intelligence that Trey Lance had in top, in, uh, on top of being uh, a very intelligent young man, a very mature young man, a very confident young man, but not in a cocky way. So just the character of Trey Lance impressed them greatly. And then the fact you throw in the ability to handle, the ability to understand, the knowledge, the intelligence level, the educational level of learning that offense or the ability for Shanahan to teach him that offense when for a multitude of years, Trey Lance has been in that system and has worked in that system and has thrived in that system and understands that system. Look, Justin Fields, most of his snaps came in the shotgun. Mac Jones, most of his snaps came from shotgun. Zach Wilson, most of his snaps came in shotgun. So that was... Something where, you know what, even as a redshirt freshman, Trey Lance was learning how to do those things was uh, something to where the 49ers said, yeah, we can we can go ahead and do this. So here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. This was the ultimate confident, ballsy, I'm the fucking man, you know, walking in like George Jefferson type of uh, deal with Kyle, Kyle Shanahan. If he maximizes the potential of Trey Lance, if he turns him into a franchise quarterback, if these guys have five, six, seven, eight, ten years of success with this guy, if he turns out to be the gem of this draft class or one of the uh, top flight guys of this generation's class, when we're speaking about Mayfield and we're speaking about Allen and we're speaking about the Watt, uh, Deshaun, if he plays if he plays again, whenever he plays, uh, we're speaking about Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, all of these guys, the Trey Lance can be at the head of the table or at the VIP section of the club, when we're speaking about club, who's the greatest quarterback of our generation, if he can get VIP treatment, if he doesn't have to stay in the line and show his ID, if the bitches are up there bowing down at him when he walks by to the, walks by in that club, then guess what, man? Kyle Shanahan is going to the Hall of Fame. And get himself a chip, a Super Bowl ring, Kyle Shanahan is going into the Hall of Fame if he maximizes the potential of Trey Lance because not only, not only 
the quarterbacking play itself will be impressive. The narrative of what they had to do to get Trey Lance and as far down as Trey Lance went to get to where he was, you don't think that's going to be um, something where the Hall of Fame voters are going to be like, oh, fuck yeah, it sure as hell hurt. It sure as hell didn't uh, hurt Kurt Warner. If Kurt Warner didn't go through all of the shit that he went through, they finally get to the Rams. If he went to the University of Iowa under Kurt Ferentz instead of some school that we never heard of named Northern Iowa, if he wasn't at the time doing the grocery bag thing and all that type of stuff, Kurt Warner, if he came the conventional way, I think his chances of getting into the Hall of Fame would have been diminished. Now, he still might have gotten into the Hall of Fame, but his background and his story certainly didn't hurt him. When they were speaking about where he came, the story of Kurt Warner to where he uh, ended up. So with Trey Lance shit, the fact of his college career, the fact of where he played, the fact of what the 49ers had to do and give up and risk to move up to the number three pick to get him. And Trey Lance turns out to be Hall of Fame worthy or turns out to be generationally great or turns out to be one of the better uh, generational great quarterbacks of his uh, day. Yeah, he's getting in, and yeah, Kyle Shanahan is getting in, and yeah, probably John Lynch is going to be getting in there too, or getting some serious consideration. They've already been to one Super Bowl. If they can get to another one or two and win one of them, yeah, Hall of Fame, here we go. If, if, if Trey Lance lives up to expectations. And if he doesn't, then Kyle Shanahan is going to be the butt of the jokes. If he flings out if he disappoints, if he busts, if he turns out that, you know what, 318 dropbacks in college wasn't enough, you know what, the reason why he was at North Dakota State was because, well, we found out that he wasn't good enough and all of those things, and he's traded in three or four years, Kyle Shanahan is going to be the joke. Kyle Shanahan is going to, and, and, and um, John Lynch is going to be the Mike Lynn of this generation. For those who don't know who Mike Lynn is, he was the guy from Minnesota who traded Herschel Walker to the um, Dallas Cowboys. Oh, no, he's the one that traded for Herschel Walker and sent a whole bunch of draft picks to the Dallas Cowboys where Jimmy Johnson used to build themselves a mini dynasty for the Cowboys. So if this bombs and Trey Lance doesn't live up to expectations, John Lynch is going to be the Mike Lynn of this generation. And Kyle Shanahan will probably never get a head coaching job again. So, yeah, you're speaking about pressure. Yeah, you're speaking about more than any other quarterback who was drafted in this draft class, Trey Lance, the bullseye and the pressure being all on him. Yeah, to me, that's an accurate statement. Not just because I said it, thought it, and uh, petting myself on the back for bringing up such a salient point. Oh, I'm so great. man! Good Lord, I want to kiss myself. Hold on for a second. Beautiful window. Ooh, in fact, that was so great. Let me go ahead and boogie a little bit. And let me all go ahead and boogie to my song a little bit while I go ahead and continue to kiss myself. Word on my feet, I'm guaranteed to get 
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things getting down and discussing today in the world of sports, mainly talking about the NFL draft this past week. Talking about, well, what are the grades? What are the, what are the grades? You got a C plus, you got a D minus, you got an A, this, that, and the other. I don't mind. It depends. Grade, different grades, depending upon where you draft. You know, when I speak of these things, I always speak about giving your definition. Whether you're speaking about a team MVP or you're speaking about the MVP, who's the greatest player of all time, who's the best player of this, who's the best player of that, what team is great, what team is not great. I need some definition. I just can't go with who won the draft, who did great, who did wonderful, Boom, let's go. I need to know a little definition here. I need to know some background here before we can get into that. Because depending upon the grade, it's depending upon what your definition is and what, how you're going to be grading and all of those type of things. For exa- example, look, I'm not a draft Nick. I'm not a draft expert. I don't break down tapes 25 hours a day, eight days a week, 366 days a year, including leap year. I don't go ahead and I don't watch Central Missouri State. I don't watch low D1, D2 football. I'm not happening. I'm not knowledgeable in terms of what player from the Patriot League is going to be uh, suitable. I don't know the, the the best offensive lineman from one AA. I just don't. I, I just don't. Don't have time for that. Got other things to worry about in my life other than bringing that down. Now, you give me six figures. Uh, we can think about it. We can talk about it. But other than that, no. And guess what? Neither are you. So when we're speaking about grades and we're speaking about, you know, where did this team go and what did this team do and all this type of stuff, depending upon where you drafted, most pundits, experts, and fans, they're going to say that, hey, Jacksonville, the Jets, San Francisco, Atlanta, Miami, Cincinnati, Detroit, Chicago, the Bostonian area, those fans are going to sit there and say, man, we won this draft. This was an awesome draft. This was a great draft. This The Jacksonville Jaguars got an A. Oh, we're going to be moving up now. This is fantastic. Well, you know, for the fans, that's mostly based on your first-round pick. Anybody can sit there and be like, yeah, Jacksonville drafting Trevor Lawrence number one. Yeah, no brainer there. You didn't, you didn't need to study 25 hours of film. You didn't need to, you know, be an NFL expert to say, hmm, you know what, with the number one pick, I think that uh, Trevor Lawrence would fit Jacksonville very well. I think Jacksonville would do all right. Same thing with the New York Jets. Everybody's talking about on the assumption because they listen to the experts, they listen to the scouts, and they saw the highlight films that all of a sudden, and Zach Wilson, when you hear the name Patrick Mahomes, when you hear the name Aaron Rodgers, you're not paying too much attention to have traits like comparable to, similar to. No, all you hear is Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson. Ding, 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 ding. No, hold on, wait, 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 wait. I, I, didn't, I didn't say, you, you didn't listen to me. I said he has traits like, I don't want to hear it. No, no, I said that, you know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, no, I don't want to hear it. He's sort of a lesser version of, no, I don't want to hear it. All I hear is Mahomes, Rodgers, Wilson, they must be the same type of guy. Ding, 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 ding. They're going to have the same type of success. Sign me up for that. The New York Jets won the draft. We got ourselves a quarterback. We finally got ourselves a franchise quarterback. I'm sorry, weren't y'all saying that like three years ago when you drafted Sam Darnold? (laughs) Haven't the New York Jets been down this road before? What was he? Top three, top four, top five? We got ourselves a franchise quarterback. We got ourselves Sam Darnold. Hey, Super Bowls, here we go. I mean, you know, how many people, how many draft nicks, 
how many experts, how many folks who do this for a living gave the Jets in 2018 a great grade for their draft by them selecting Sam Darnold? Huh? And how quickly did that go away when all of a sudden, oh shit, you know what? Um, he's not as good as we thought he was. He can't overcome Adam Gates. I don't know who could, if you're, unless you're Peyton Manning, someone of that high uh, caliber. Oh, guess what? He couldn't overcome, uh, he couldn't overcome Adam Gates. I guess y'all didn't put that into the equation when you were drafting Sam Darnold, right? Do you know who the offensive coordinator is for the New York Jets? Do you know who the quarterback coach for the New York Jets? Do you know the wide receiving coach for the New York Jets? Do you know what type of system they're going to run? Do you know anything about the offensive line to protect? I mean, what are we talking about here? Well, the New York Jets, they got this great wide receiver in the second round. Man, you don't know the, you don't know one motherfucking thing about that motherfucker. Stop lying about up there talking about, yeah, all of a sudden you're going to be breaking that shit down. Like, yeah, all of a sudden now. You were just the biggest Ole Miss fan to be watching him play. Oh, yeah, man, this guy, we're, we're headed toward the Super Bowl now. Steve Young and Jerry Rice, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Woohoo! here we go. Warren Moon and Randy Moss, there we go. Come on, man, stop with the bullshit, man. You don't know jack shit about this goddamn wide receiver from Mississippi. So while you're fronting, stop. And as I mentioned before, oh, yeah, man, Zach Wilson, this, that. Shit, Zach Wilson had more question marks going into this draft than Sam Darnold did when he was drafted by the New York Jets. So all of a sudden now you guys think that you won the draft because you got someone where you hear Mahomes, Rodgers in the same sentence? Come on now. The San Francisco 49ers, for those fans who are t- talking about they won the draft, you're going on the assumption. You don't know this for sure because I damn know that you didn't watch any North Dakota State football games back in 2019. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. You hear Kuiper, you hear the experts you hear folks, you hear all the good things about them. I'm not saying that any of these guys are going to be terrible. What I'm saying is that how in the hell can you sit there and start dancing in the streets and, and, and doing the boogaloo for Jesus when you don't know anything about these guys in terms of what their impact is going to be, in terms of what their transition is going to be, in terms of what their success is going to be, making that move from college quarterback to the NFL. Man, you don't know. And you're not reading, you're, you're reading too little into it. You're not peeling back enough of the layers. Trevor Lawrence is going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're moving. Man, how do we know that Urban Meyer is going to be able to coach this guy? I mean, how, how do we know with the offensive coordinator, he's going to be put into the right place? I mean, how do we know this? How do we know with a dysfunctional franchise like Jacksonville? How many teams have overcome dysfunction in the NFL to be elite hell i should know more than ever because i'm a fan of the washington snyder skins i don't give a damn who you have a quarterback i don't give a damn who who your franchise quarterback is it takes a really 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 awesome generational best who's ever played quarterback to overcome the ineptitude and the stupidity of how to run a franchise than daniel snyder I mean, you would have to be a mixture of Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, Sammy Ball, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning all rolled into one times five to overcome who we have as an owner. So Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, so Trevor Lawrence going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, that don't mean shit. That don't mean nothing. That doesn't mean all of a sudden now you guys are on the right path to success. I'm sorry, when was the last time the Cincinnati Bengals under Mike Brown did anything? 
When was the last time the Detroit Lions and the DeFore family did anything? When was the last time the Chicago Bears and the McCaskey family did anything? When was the last time the Atlanta Falcons have done anything since they choked away a Super Bowl victory a couple of years ago? I mean, how do we know about Trey Lance? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. All you know is that, hey, the San Francisco 49ers need the quarterback because Jimmy G is too injured and he sucks. We got ourselves a quarterback. We're on our way. All we know is with the Jacksonville Jaguar, Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. We know what Peyton Manning did, so we're on our way. The New York Jets need a quarterback. We got ourselves a quarterback who reminds everybody of Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, so we got him and we're on our way. Oh, my goodness. The Miami Dolphins need some help for two at the wide receiver position, so we got some guy from Alabama who's the fastest player in the draft, and he play for under Nick Saban and he won championships so we're done with that we're good with that um Joe Burrow for Cincinnati he needs another target so we went ahead and got this guy Jamar Chase who was awesome the year that he played with Joe Burrow even though he hadn't played in a year and since he was awesome then we'll go ahead and just go on the assumption that those guys are going to click like 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 rice and grits wait a minute rice and grits don't mix like right like grits and butter like grits and gravy like A1 steak sauce and a sirloin I mean you know like 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 chicken and eggs, like waffles and biscuits. <laughs> Can I keep going? I'm getting hungry. But you understand what I'm saying. It's like, let's just kind of calm down before we start talking about who wins and who loses. You know, for the fans, again, basically off the first pick. Trevor Lawrence, here's our guy. Do you know anything about Tyson Campbell, the quarterback? Do you know anything about Walker Little, the offensive lineman that they drafted? Do you know anything? Jacksonville Jaguar fan? About Andre Sisco, a safety, Jordan Smith, an outside linebacker, Luke Farrell. I tied in Jalen Camp, a wide receiver. I don't give a fuck. We got ourselves a quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, a great, uh, a great quarterback, an awesome quarterback, a generational great quarterback. Who gives a fuck about some guy named Luke Farrell or Jalen Camp? We're going to the Super Bowl in three years, baby. Well, for those who have that type of attitude, for those who want to go down that route in terms of enthusiasm and disrespecting those other players that were drafted. Can I give you an example of the Indianapolis Colts when they drafted Andrew Luck? Andrew Luck was just as worthy of being a generational great Hall of Fame great as any of the other players that I just mentioned. Came out of Stanford four years, coached by David Shaw, you know, big 6'4", 6'5", guy, 240 pounds, played in a pro-style offense, he could do all this and he could do all that, and he was going to be great and he was going to be this, that, and the other. And for a few years, he was great. For a few years, he wasn't looking like he was going to live up to the promise. Unfortunately, because of the ineptitude of the front office and because they did not put anybody around him, with the exception of T.Y. Hilton, which, you know, welcome to the winning the lottery game. Other than that, they didn't put a wide receiver of any substance around them, except for T.Y. Hilton. They didn't put an offensive line that could protect them. They didn't give them a running back that could try to take some of the pressure off of them, except for a trade they made with Cleveland to get Trent Richardson from Alabama. That didn't work out very well. Andrew Luck got the shit kicked out of him because he didn't have any help around him. And what happened what was once a quarterback that took Indianapolis to the AFC Championship game and all these type of things and looked like they were on their way to sustaining some type of excellence for numerous years, fell apart. Why? Because Ryan, what was his name? Ryan Grist? I forgot the GM at that time. He didn't put anybody around him. He didn't draft anybody of any consequence, of any importance. Free agency, he bumbled, he fumbled opportunities for this team to get better. So yes, just like it takes a village to raise a child, 
it takes an organization to win championships. Rest in peace, Jerry Krause. So, yeah, I mean, so just don't sit here and boo-hoo and what the fuck and who gives a damn about some of the other players that were drafted because, let me tell you something, man, Tyson Campbell, Walker Little, Andre Sisso, Jordan Smith, they're going to have to perform too. Especially if you're talking about an offensive lineman like Walker uh, Little, if he's going to be expected to, uh, I don't know, kind of help out Trevor Lawrence there, kind of have his backside, make sure that he stays upright, make sure that he stays healthy. You, you better sit there and, you know, hope that these guys come through also because Trevor Lawrence could be the, the greatest thing since, you know, since Levi Stubbs staying with the four tops. But if he doesn't have any help with them, it doesn't matter. Bernadette, same old song, standing in the shadows of love. Crumble, baby, crumble. It ain't going to be happening. It ain't going to be happening. One of those world of sports. I'm, I don't know where, I don't know, Armando, where I went with that. I have no idea. One of those world of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, speaking about what's happening in the NFL draft, the New York Jets, draft picks. Everyone knows to make enough, to, uh, knows enough about, you know, Zach Wilson that he's supposed to be super talented, awesome, right? Does, does anybody know anything in terms of the rest of the draft picks? Now, I know that they can sit back and go, yeah, we moved back in the draft into the first round to select Elijah Via Tucker, a guard from USC. Woo! Oh, man, that's exactly what we needed, a guard. Oh, love it. I was watching Jets games all last season, and I was sitting there going, if Sam Darnold had a guard, my goodness gracious, he'd be better than Mahomes. Damn it, we got this guard from USC. I tell you, when I watch the USC football games, I focus, as a Jet fan, I focus intently on Elijah Vera Tucker. And I said to myself, we get that guy. We get that guy on our offensive line. And then we get Zach Wilson. We're this generation's New England Patriots in terms of success. And oh my goodness. Hmm. Where do I order my Super Bowl? Tri- Someone get Kurt Blakeney on the line and ask him as a huge Jet fan, where do I get my Super Bowl champion 2022 New York Jets uh, shirts from? Because we got ourselves this guard from USC. I'll go along with Sam Darnold. Oh, and did I also mention that Elijah Moore? We got him in the second round. We got good value for Elijah Moore. <laughs> Woo! Second best quarterback or a second best wide receiver he should have been a first round pick everybody says oh man love it and then in the fourth round we got ourselves michael carter mm. oh this offense is going to be unstoppable the, the 1998 minnesota vikings the 2000 and whoever new england patriots with brady and randy moss all of these teams that set records for most points scored watch out baby the Kansas City used to be champions. Watch out, baby. We've got the second coming of Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback. We got ourselves the best wide receiver in the second round. And we got ourselves a guard that we took in the first round to anchor our offense. Also, we got Michael Carter, a North Carolina running back in the fourth round. We're unstoppable. We are unstoppable. Give the New York Jets the grade of an A for the 2021 NFL draft, because now, watch out. Watch out. We're going to be setting records, and then we're going to be breaking them. Love it. Jet, come on, man. Do you know Jamie Sherwood, the linebacker from Auburn, 
Michael Carter II from Duke. Jonathan Marshall, defensive tackle from Arkansas. Come on, Jets fans. Do you know these guys? Do you know these guys? How much Arkansas football did you watch? How much Duke football did you watch? Come on, man. Come on. Lay it on me. Educate me. Because I really wasn't concentrating too much on Duke football. I really wasn't concentrating on Michael Carter II. Wasn't really in tuned to Jonathan Marshall and his contribution at Marshall at uh, Arkansas University. So, man, you got to let me know. You got to let me know because you're up there hooting and hollering about how great the New York Jets are going to be. You got to let me know. Knowledgeable Jet fan, let's go. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about the 2021 NFL Draft, speaking about it from a layman's term because, again, we don't know. We don't know. And we base our thoughts and opinions about who did great in the draft, who didn't do great in the draft, based on one pick. Seven rounds, one pick, and that's normally the first round pick. Oh, and it also had to be a known player. It had to be a running back. It had to be a quarterback because, shit, we we don't know jack shit about centers. We don't know jack shit about defensive tackles. We don't know jack shit about inside linebackers. We don't know jack shit about offensive guards. We don't know any of that shit. Now, we can pretty much deduce what a quarterback does. We can pretty much evaluate what a wide receiver and a running back does. But in terms of the knowledge of what an offensive guard is going to bring, I mean, we could see on the highlights of him pancaking somebody or creating holes. But, you know, for the most part, we don't know the difference between a right tackle and a, and a, uh, and a left guard. We don't know the difference between a right inside linebacker and an outside linebacker. We don't know the difference between a free safety and a strong safety, most of us. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, if you're an Atlanta Falcon fan, yeah, you can sit there and talk about Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, being the most talented player in the draft, wonderful, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. It gives Matt Ryan a chance to line up with Julio Jones, if he's still going to be on the team, and Calvin Ridley for a coach in Arthur Smith, who favors double tight end sets, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So the one weakness of Kyle Pitts, the uh, inline blocking, is not going to be a problem because one tight end will be there for blocking, and the other tight end will be there for pass catching. I'm guessing the pass catching will responsibilities will go to Kyle Pitts. So you take a look at that, and you say, "God damn, we got ourselves a team, don't we?" After giving away games, I mean, you know, the, the record that the Atlanta Falcons had. With a better coach who couldn't blow games like Dan Quinn did the first part of the season. I mean, hell, we could greatly increase our win total with the acquisition, with the drafting that we had of Kyle Pitts. We won this draft based on this. And we extended the career of of, uh, Matt Ryan. We won this draft. Matt Ryan has been faltering a little bit after winning that MVP with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. Now we give him another threat to go to, this young, hungry lion, this extremely talented lion, which is supposed to be the next great white uh, uh, tight end in the league. We won this draft. You can't base it off of one player, man. You can't. It's a good start. Kyle Pitts was a great start. Wonderful start. We're thinking. We're assuming. But tell me a little bit about Daquan, um, tell me a little bit about Daquan Graham, the defensive tackle from Texas. Tell me a little bit more about Avery Williams, the cornerback from Boise State. Tell me something about Jalen Mayfield, the offensive tackle from Michigan. Tell me just a smidgen. Give me a smidge of info about Darian Hall, 
the cornerback from San Diego State. Tell me about him because they're going to be important. You're going to need those guys. I mean, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are going to have to play some defense. The Atlanta Falcons are going to have to protect Matt Ryan. The Atlanta Falcons are going to have to uh, cover wide receivers. So what are we talking about here? Give me something. You better, before we start talking about you won this and we won that and we're now headed for this because we did so awesome in the draft because of one player. No, 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 no. You got to give me a little bit more. You got to give me a little bit more. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Every NFL fan could give a valid breakdown about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, um, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Travis ATM, Najee Harris. We see them run the ball. We see them pass the ball. We see them catch the ball. We see them being the player that's being talked about the most. When you're watching a Clemson football game, what's the uh, who are the stars of the game? Who are the ones that are getting the attention? Who's the one that has the spotlight shine on them, shown on them the most? Trevor Lawrence, Travis ATM. Now, the Herf Streets of the world and the Danielsons of the world, I mean, they might make mention to what a great block by this guy, what a great tackle by this guy, and what a great read by this corner, and what great coverage, uh, this, this, that, and the other. But for the most part, we're educated enough because of the position that they play and how much attention that they get that, yeah, Zach Wilson, good. Trevor Lawrence, good. Trey Lance, don't know, but sounds good. Kyle Pitts, good. Jamar Chase, wow. Jalen Waddle, he's fast. Devonta Smith, did that guy drop anything? Matt Jones, wow, he's accurate. Justin Fields, tough. Travis ATM, Alvin Kamara, like Najee Harris, Pittsburgh needs him. He need a running back. We know all this shit. But after all of those players were drafted, can you tell me how many fans of Carolina, Washington, the LA Chargers, Minnesota, um, Arizona could give me any kind of assessment of their first round pick? But my squad drafted some linebacker out of Kentucky. I have no idea how good or bad this guy is. Zero. Jamin Davis, linebacker from Kentucky. I didn't watch one Kentucky football game last season. My four years, however long Mr. Davis was a linebacker for Kentucky, if he stayed four years and was a linebacker there, the accumulation of Kentucky football games that I watch wouldn't equate to one quarter, to one half of a quarter. So I, I can't sit there and boo, cheer, scream, jubilate. I, I don't. I can't do any of that stuff because I have no fucking idea who Jamie and Davis is. I know what the football skin, with the uh, Snyder skins, with the Ron Rivera skins, looking at a defensive guy for the first round draft pick. I know that we're going to try to win every football game 13 to 10 or 17 to 13 because we seem to be loading up on the defensive side of the football. You know, glass half full for me that Jamie and Davis is something that can, someone that could uh, improve the defense even more, that improve the linebacker even more, linebacking position even more. But that's great. But I can't sit there and break down the Washington draft pick of Jamie and Davis like, if they would have drafted a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields or a Najee Harris or a Jalen Waddle. I just can't, and neither can you. Can anybody who's a Carolina fan tell me about J.C. Horn of South Carolina the same way that you could tell me about those guys drafting a Devonta Smith or a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones? The Chargers drafted Rayshon Slater, offensive guard and tackle from Northwestern. Can anybody... Give me any type of breakdown, any type of knowledge. 
in terms of uh, Rayshon Slater and put it the same way if you were going to break down the skills and the ills and the pluses and the minuses of a Mac Jones or a Najee Harris or a Jamar Chase or a Zach Wilson. Same thing with Arizona drafting Zavin, Zavin Collins, linebacker out of Tulsa, Arizona Cardinal fans, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, Snobsdale, Skanksdale, Phonydale, Shallowdale, Arizona, Glendale, Mesa, Tempe. Could anybody tell me how many games, how many Tulsa football games you watched in three to four years? So you can sit there and be like, oh yeah, when they drafted Zayvon Collins, woo, boy, I said, you know what? When I was watching Tulsa play SMU on ESPN2 on a Saturday at 5 p.m., like I always do, I said, man, you know what? If my Cardinals could get Zayvon Collins, ooh, man, would we be just, mm, that's what we need right there. That's what we're missing. We're missing Zayvon Collins right there to take us to the next level. Now, you could say, damn, we need a linebacker. So we draft ourselves the best linebacker available. That would be awesome. Or, you know, for Carolina, we, we need a cornerback. So we could draft ourselves the best cornerback available at the position that we're at right now. I mean, that would be great. That would be awesome. But again, we can't break down these guys. We have to entrust the decision makers on this deal. Because we can sit there and lambast and question and go over a coach or an organization or a GM drafting a quarterback or drafting a wide receiver. Or drafting a running back. We can go ahead and talk about, oh, you know, his system, he can't do this, or he can't do this, or what a great move, or this, that, and the other. We can't do the same thing when someone drafts a Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern who's an offensive guard and tackle. We can't do that when the Minnesota Vikings select Christian Derrishaw, offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. We can't go there. We can't do that. We can't yell. We can't scream. Anybody notice when Roger Goodell said the names of those people and the cameraman you know, went to the um, fans of each one of those squads and, you know, he saw the fans of the Washington football squad and the L.A. Chargers and the Denver Broncos and the Minnesota Vikings and uh, the Arizona Cardinals. They all were sitting there with bated breath wanting to hear who their team drafted. And when Roger Goodell said, with the number eight pick, the Carolina Panthers selected J.C. Horn from South Carolina. There was a moment of, who? Then it was, well, fuck it. We don't know him, but sounds good to us. Yay! I mean, it was like when, when, the, when, when the Jacksonville Jaguars selected Trevor Lawrence, there was no, huh? Quarterback? Okay, well, yay! It was as soon as they got to Trevor. I mean, they didn't even get, Roger Goodell didn't even have, didn't have to say Trevor. It was just Trevor. And with the number one pick, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevay Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. With the number three pick, the San Francisco 49ers select Trevay. You know, there was the immediate reaction because we know who these people are. In our brain, we can break them down. In our brain, we kind of have a little understanding of what they do. So we equate that with, okay, how are they going to help our team? We can't do that with an offensive lineman. We've never heard of Rashawn Slater. We've never heard of Darian uh, Shaw. So with the number one pick, the Minnesota Vikings select Christian Derisaw, offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah,
<laughs> so, you know, when we talk about winners and losers from this draft pick, I don't know. Who knows? I've never seen this kid from Kentucky play from my Washington inept skin. So how the hell do I know if they got a good move or not? I won't know until another three or four years. So, you know, the winners and losers in this draft class. Come on, man. Give me a break. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What podcast is this again? This podcast is Wendell's World of Sports, hosted by Wendell Wallace. Uh, uh, again, yeah, 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 okay. Fuck it, he's talking sports. Yeah, okay. So, uh, <laughs> the winners and losers from this draft class. We're not going to know until around 2026 who did what, who won what, and who did this, that, and the other. Because if you take a look from the recent history of the draft classes starting in 2015, which was six seasons ago, First contract, you know, for folks who are contract eligible, you know, so we're taking a look at that time frame. 15 quarterbacks have been drafted since 2015 in the first round. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun, please don't have any massage therapists coming your way, Watson. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins, right? So those are the 15 players that have been drafted. Of those 15 quarterbacks that I mentioned, Winston was taken number one, Mariota was taken number two, Golf was taken number one, Wentz was taken number two, Trubisky was taken number three or two, something like that. Patrick Mahomes, top 10. Baker Mayfield, number one. Sam Darnold, top five. Josh Allen, number eight. Josh Rosen, top 12. Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round. Daniel Jones, top five or six. Dwayne Haskins, top 15. Of all of those quarterbacks that were drafted, of those 15, six season, seasons later, seven are still on the same team that drafted them. When you take a look at Mahomes, for now, Watson, Mayfield, Allen, Jackson, Murray, and Jones. That's it. Jameis Winston, bye-bye. Marcus Mariota, see you later. Jared Goff, bye-bye. Carson Wentz, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more. Mitchell Trubisky, get out. Uh, Sam Darnold, bye-bye. Josh Rosen, oh, please. And uh, Dwayne Haskins, please get the fuck out. Those, the rest are still with the um, only seven. And if you take a look at quarterbacks that were drafted between 2015 and 2017, all but five of the five quarterbacks that were drafted, I'm sorry, and they were all drafted in the first five picks of the draft, three of them are playing for different teams. Three of them are backups. Winston was let go by Tampa when they had a chance to get Tom Brady. Mariota lost his job in Tennessee to Ryan Tannehill who was a former number one pick who didn't cut it in Miami. And Trubisky lost his job to Nick Foles, and he's now a backup in Buffalo. And Nagy could not wait, could not wait to bench Trubisky for Nick Foles, of all people. You take a look at the quarterback drafted in 2018, Sam Darnold. He's traded to Carolina this offseason. He was considered a bust and a disappointment in New York. Not his fault completely, but, you know, it is what it is. Josh Rosen, I'm sorry, yeah, he was a top 10 pick for Arizona. He, he, he's on his third team in as many seasons, and he's a third-string quarterback. He, he, he's barely hanging on. And 
the draft picks of 2019, the quarterbacks of 2019, shit, J Daniel Jones is near the end of his rope in New York. This might be his last chance to uh, prove that he's a, a franchise quarterback. And Dwayne Haskins, I mean, he has a foot and a half out the door of his NFL career sitting there as a third-string quarterback in Pittsburgh. So there might be a situation where, unless it's because of break glass in case of emergency because no one else is able to play at quarterback position, Dwayne Haskins, that might be the only time he'll see action on the football field for a pro. This guy might be a journeyman second or third-string quarterback. So look, man, by taking a look at that info, by taking a look at that data, think about it. I want you to think about it, Jacksonville Jaguar fans. I want you to think about what I just gave to you, New York Jets fans. I want you to digest everything I just told you, San Francisco 49er fans. I want you to reflect and deep think everything I told you, Chicago Bears fans. I want you to genuinely, sincerely think about what I said, San, uh, New England Patriots fans, because two or three of those players that you drafted, that are supposed to be the saviors, that are supposed to turn the franchise around, that are supposed to lead you all the championships, that are supposed to lead you to bigger and better things, the quarterback that you drafted, which caused you to win the draft in 2021, which gave that team an A for drafting that guy, in three or four years, that guy is not going to be on your team. So which one is it going to be? It's either going to be Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, Fields, Jones, two or three of them are not going to be on the same team that drafted them a couple of days ago. Is it going to be Lance? If it is, shit, Kyle, Kyle Shanahan and everything, see you later. If it's going to be Mac Jones, could that mean that Bill Belichick is like, shit, maybe it was all about Tom Brady, or I shouldn't say all about Tom Brady. Well, maybe, you know, Tom Brady had a bigger hand in me winning championships than uh, I gave him credit for, and maybe that the uh, fans of mine gave him credit for. If Trevor Lawrence doesn't do well, <laughs> this college thing about Urban Meyer going to college to the pros. Um, well, that was a bust. Well, we're not going to try that shit again. Um, and if Zach Wilson doesn't make it, doesn't cut it, Robert Slayla, does he still have a job? Is his job security based on the maturation and the development of Zach Wilson? So after four years, if the Jets are in the same position with Zach Wilson as they were with Sam Darnold, what does that mean? What are the ramifications? What are the repercussions for folks in the front office, for those in the coaching staff. And they have to go through another deal in terms of for the 2025 draft where they're drafting number two or number three again because they jettison Zach Wilson because he's a bust and they get themselves another quote-unquote franchise quarterback and they get another A in the draft and they get another we won the draft again. So all of these things are going to come into play. Justin Fields breaking the hearts of the Chicago Bears if he doesn't live up to the expectations a couple of those scenarios are going to happen. Based on the history of quarterbacks being drafted in the first round over the past five or six seasons, that is likely going to be so what, so what, so what's the scenario? So I think the biggest, I think the biggest chances are myself, um, Wilson and Mac Jones with the only thing that's saving Trey Lance is Kyle Shanahan. And the ability for Kyle Shanahan to know what he's doing. So I'm not going to sit there and start trying to uh, coach him or give him advice and pointers about how to deal with um, the maturation and the development of Trey Lance. He knows that shit a lot more than I do. So if he's, if you feel he's ready to start 
the beginning of this season, if he has to start after week six or week 16 or week 17 or wait out the entire year, man. And Kyle Shanahan, I trust, just like all those guys. I'm not a quarterback coach or an offensive coordinator, and I don't know these guys. I don't know their strengths and weaknesses like these organizations do. So you're at the mercy of those who are more educated about this than you are. So we will see. We will see. Wendell's World of Sports is ending up the segment by saying, hey, look, man, again, top 10 players drafted in the NFL draft from 2015 to 2018, 40 in all. 15, 16, 17, 18, 1, 2, 3, 4, 4, 10 players drafted, first 10 picks in the first four rounds, 10 players times four seasons equals 40 players. There you go. Pop quiz later. Of those 40 players, 55% of them are no longer on the squad that um, drafted them. 55%. 22 are on other teams out of the 40 that were drafted. So take a look at these top 10 players, man. Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Penny Sewell, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, Devonta Smith. Five or six of those players are going to be either underachievers or bust by their fourth year. They're not going to be retained. They're going to be moving on somewhere else. Is it going to be Smith because of his slight build? Is it going to be because of J.C. Horn? Is it going to be because... Of injuries to Panay Sewell. Is it going to be? Who is it going to be? And also because we are so much more knowledgeable of skill players than we are of offensive linemen, defensive linemen, safeties, linebackers. We can also have a more. Co, co, uh, we can also have a more um, knowledgeable conversation about who's going to bust. Because we know what a bad quarterback looks like. We know what a bad wide receiver looks like. We know what a bad running back looks like. We know by the way we, 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 we can pass the eye. You know, we, we know by the eye test and we know by the stats test. Like if after three years, Zach Wilson has thrown 25 touchdowns and 44 interceptions, we know that's not good. If Jalen Waddle through three seasons only has 38 catches for 322 yards and two touchdowns, we know that's not good. For J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, unless, you know, the replay show time after time, those guys getting burned or those guys getting pass interference calls or holding penalties called, then we kind of know. But, you know, for Panay Sewell, we don't know. Not unless, you know, they put the um, isolation camera on him and Aaron Donald and seeing Sewell get abused, but Donald does that to everybody. So, those are the things that we can kind of tell, you know, after the first two or three, first two or three years. Yeah, Wilson. Yeah, Lance. Yeah, Pitts. Yeah, ATN. Yeah, Najee Harris. Yeah, the warning running backs and the tight ends and the quarterbacks and the running backs and the wide receivers. Yeah, we know they're, if they're going to make it, if they're not going to make it, we can kind of assess that. But the other parts of the game, come on, man, stop bullshitting us. Stop bullshitting me. Stop bullshitting yourself. We, we really don't know. So we're at the mercy of what's going on. But, um, that's about it with the NFL draft. Grades, winners, losers, slow down, Chief. We've got a long time to go before we start going into that.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. We're so glad that you could be with us. I'm watching the game here on a beautiful day in Las Vegas, Nevada, the northwest side of town in my northwest side of town in my townhome here on the northwest side of Las Vegas in this wonderfully diverse neighborhood that I live in. Of wonderful, wonderful people. I'm watching the um I'm watching the game between the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the um, and the Brooklyn Nets, putting on the same type of wonderful performance, Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo, that they did on Sunday. And I just have to tell you, man, Candace Parker, she is beautiful. That woman is beautiful. Quite sure you all probably already knew that, but she's she's beautiful, man. She is absolutely riveting. Um, yeah, really good, really good example of uh, what com- what my community can uh, can present to you. She's smart. She's intelligent. She's well-spoken. She's strong. She's beautiful. She's got fashion sense. Good for her, man. Good for her. Don't know what happened between, between her and Sheldon Williams, but uh, Sheldon, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I wasn't part of the uh, whole deal of the makeup and breakup, but, uh, man, I don't know if you're going to find someone just as good or better than Candace Parker because, like I mentioned before, she's smart, well-spoken, has a good aura about herself, good chi, and she is very, very attractive. So, Candace Parker, shout-out special dedications to her. Good deal. Mama and Daddy should be proud. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Switching very quickly. I'm going to get to this Aaron Rodgers deal, man. Mm, Okay, let me see here. Not interested in playing for Green Bay. Mentioned that in the opening segment of the podcast. The ESPN's Adam Schefter reported Rodgers is, quote-unquote, so disgruntled, so disgruntled, that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. Fox's Jay Glazer confirmed that report and wrote, Roger is, Rodgers is pretty strongly convicted that he doesn't want to go back to the Packers, and Trey Wingo reported that the Packers brass told Rodgers they would trade him in the offseason, but later changed their minds. And what Wingo tweeted was, he said, um, it's been a bleep show, so I guess it's been a shit show between them ever since, and within the last week, Rodgers told the team, trade or no trade, I'm not coming back. Hmm, Interesting. So Packers general manager Brian uh, Gutenhurst vehemently denied this after the first round and after the news was reported that Rodgers didn't want to continue the working relationship with Green Bay. Only one team inquired about a trade. That team was the San Francisco 49ers who checked in with Green Bay about Rodgers' potential availability on Wednesday night. And general manager John Lynch said Thursday that, yeah, man, I, I gave him a call. Why not? I mean, it's Aaron Flipping Rodgers, a guy who's at 38 years old with the MVP, 48 touchdowns, three or four interceptions, led the uh, league in almost every statistical category that there was, 13-3, and three, led him to the NFC Championship for the second time in a row. And he said he wants to go ahead and try to play football until, he, until he's in his 40s. He's mentally happy because... Because of his impending marriage to the uh, to his soulmate and all these other things, so mentally he's in a good place. Physically, he's in a good place. Why wouldn't I want to uh, inquire about the services, obtaining the services of Aaron Rodgers? But Gutenhurst said, "No thanks. 
thanks but no thanks and he was quickly rebuffed not well maybe this that and the other it was no thanks done see you later you're done start talking we're finished so why is Aaron Rodgers unhappy variety of reasons mostly dealing with disrespect and dependence I mean it's the Tom Brady effect the same thing that's got Russell Wilson all messed up and Deshaun Watson feeling all like get me the hell out of here they see Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl at 43 they see Tom Brady not having to throw the ball 50 times a game. They see Tom Brady with the weapons around him to where they're not overly dependent upon Tom Brady to be the Tom Brady, which made his mark, um, you know, as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, they saw the acquisitions for Rob Gronkowski and Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown. I mean, hell, wasn't uh, Bruce Arians when the notion of Antonio Brown's of Antonio Brown being on the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You remember earlier in the season where he was like, no, that's not going to be happening. Nope. Uh, went through that bullshit in Pittsburgh with them. Not bringing them here for that. So, sorry, no no can do. And then Tom Brady was like, well, yes, can do. Um, I like Antonio Brown. We work well together. I'll babysit him. I'll nurture him. I'll do whatever. But uh, I want him on the team. And the brass said, okay. So, basically, what Tommy wants, Tommy gets. And Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, who's being sacked the most in the NFL, and Deshaun Watson, who's having career years and no one's paying attention because the team absolutely stinks and is in absolute disarray. And Carson Wentz, who's being benched for some rookie out of Alabama that they drafted in the second round after he signed an extension. And all these other quarterbacks are sitting there going, man, what the fuck? I mean, we get this guy and you're giving him all this and I'm just as good or better than him, the Tom Brady as of right now, and you're not hooking me up, and you're not treating me after everything I've done for this organization? Hell, man, get me the hell out of here. Now, what degree are we talking about here? Russell Wilson seems to be, I don't know if it's a veiled threat. I don't know if he's just bullshitting. I don't know if he's just stomping his feet and throwing a temper tantrum. I don't know if he needs a little bit more uh, attention. I don't know exactly what... Russell Wilson is doing, but one thing it doesn't seem like he's doing is trying to do everything that he can to get himself out of Seattle. And that story has kind of much gone away. The Seattle-Russell Wilson relationship is not working. A change might be imminent or a change might be coming. So we're not hearing too much of that anymore. Because of the legal situations that's facing Deshaun Watson, we don't know what the hell's going on with the Houston Texans. I mean, there was a report in Bleacher Report that Deshaun Watson just might sit out the 2021 season because of everything that's going down. And so we, we don't know exactly what's going on with that. But before everything, you know, hit the, hit the ceiling concerning Watson's uh, situation with the females, it was, you know, who's going to blink first? The Texans aren't interested in, in trading him. And Watson has no interest in returning. So what's going to be... Who's going to blink first in this situation? With Rodgers, we don't know. Yeah, he said that he's not coming back and everything like that. And, you know, all those things might be fine, but, I mean, to what degree? Because if he sits out, he's going to have to return some of the signing bonus money. And only a couple of years ago, we signed a four-year, $134 million extension. So what precipitated the change of feelings and emotions with uh, Aaron Rodgers? But this is a situation where he might want to restructure his contract. I remember Florio and Phil Sims' kid, uh, Chris Sims, talking about that, the situation where, you know, he wants a little bit more control over his destiny and his future. So, you know, you might want to restructure it. But according to reports, 
the Packers went out and talked to uh, Rodgers about that this offseason. And he was like, nope, sorry, that ain't going to do it. So, again, until Aaron Rodgers comes out and says, again, this is the reason why I want to be traded or, you know, I want my intentions to be known, uh, go to a local Milwaukee radio guy or a TV station in Milwaukee or Green Bay or whatever and let him know what's going on and tweet something. He's been um, he's been dead silent on this, but you know we can only go on the assumption that you know again he saw Tom Brady being treated like a king, like royalty. What Tommy wants, Tommy gets, as I mentioned before. And Aaron Rodgers is sitting here talking about, damn, really y'all going to do this for Tom Brady? And the thanks that the Packers are going to give me is to go ahead and draft a quarterback, move up to draft a quarterback, and you don't even have the nerve, you don't even have the respect to even let me know. Really? Y'all going to do that bullshit? Y'all going to treat me like that? Okay. Fine. So, again, Tom Brady, all of those guys, they signed. re-signed. In fact, all of the guys from Tampa Bay who were supposed to be free agents, the uh, Buccaneers went ahead and re-signed them. Tom Brady restructured this deal so Brown and Fournette and Shaq Barrett and Ndamukong Sue and Gronkowski and Chris Goodwin could all, Godwin could all come back. So, just on paper, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look stacked. And again, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is sitting there looking at it going, really? You take a look at what the New Orleans Saints did for Drew Brees in his last few years with the Saints. Did everything they could to give him a chance to win the Super Bowl. They brought in players like Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook while keeping the entire core intact. They made um, Michael Thomas the highest paid wide receiver in the game. Those guys went into salary cap hell and paid fines and for, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, going over the salary cap and everything. All of this to appease Drew Brees and tried to do everything that they could to have the Saints win a Super Bowl and did it for multiple years. It just wasn't one time. And then, you know, Stefan Diggs fucked them in the, uh, in the championship game or in one of the playoff games. And then the next season, the referee screwed them and the Saints were like, oh, the hell with this. It looks like we're going to go on a transition period right now. No, the Saints kept going and going and going. At one point this offseason, the Saints were $100 million over the salary cap. And Aaron Rodgers, again, takes a look at this and says, man, so, you know, you're going to treat a Hall of Famer like Drew Brees that way, correctly. Y'all going to treat Tom Brady that way, a Hall of Famer, correctly. And I'm just as good or better as these guys. I had the best season of my career. And y'all going to treat me like this? <laughs> y'all ain't going to do shit. We couldn't get Juju smith Schuster. We couldn't go out and get ourselves a wide receiver or another wide receiver. Or we couldn't get any more offensive weapons. We couldn't improve our team any other way. Meanwhile... You see what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are doing, who I'm going to go on the assumption in which it's going to be my greatest challenge for next season. Get me the fuck out of here, man. Fuck you guys. So maybe that's the deal. Complete disrespect for Rodgers. Also dealing with the draft, last season's draft, going 13-3, losing to the San Francisco 49ers in the conference championship. They got stomped. They got beat up. They got punked. But uh, based on that, Green Bay did absolutely nothing to improve the team, at least offensively. So instead of drafting a wide out in the 2020 draft, which at that time was one of the deepest receiving classes in years, Green Bay traded up and selected Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State, at number 26. Traded up. And then, again, the, the Packers organization didn't have the common decency or sense 
to let Rodgers know, hey, you know what, shit's going to hit the fan just to let you know because we're about to draft a quarterback at number 26. So uh, just a little heads up there. Man, y'all couldn't even do that for him? Y'all couldn't do the bare bones minimum? I mean, damn. If y'all going to be intimate with the guy just for one night, could you at least, at least leave a note when you leave? I mean, could you at least fix him a boiled egg before you get out of here? Could you at least, you know, text him a little bit later saying had a good time last night, you know, catch you on the, catch you when I catch you? Something? Anything? Can you at least kiss me on the cheek before you stick it in my ass? Jeez, man. I mean, unflipping believable there. So, we saw what Tampa Bay did, right? Well, what the hell was Jordan Love going to do for the Green Bay Packers going into uh, last season? What? I mean, you're going to switch him to wide receiver? You're going to, you know, make him the new Cordell Stewart? I mean, Love didn't do anything. He's the only player of the Packers. I mean, he was the only player not to play last season. He didn't play any. He didn't play at all. For the championship game, he was third string. The first couple of players that the Packers drafted were third stringers, were inactive. Didn't play a single game. Wasn't activated for a single game. So what the hell are we doing if you're Green Bay? Where in the hell are we going? We want to get better for the future. Hell, you could have gotten Jordan Love in the second fucking round. Oh, and by the way, who said that Jordan Love is going to be the next, oh, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> I mean, you didn't draft the next sure thing. When Aaron Rodgers was fell and uh, was uh, drafted by the Green Bay Packers, because many people thought he was going to be the number one pick, and he kept falling and falling and falling and falling. I mean, hell, that was a situation where, in an interview, Aaron Rodgers said, you know what, we were 10-6. and six. We missed the playoffs that year. Brett Favre was threatened to retire year after year after year when that situation happened. And, oh, by the way, I wasn't some project. I wasn't some guy that was a stretch to be drafted to where I was. Jordan Love at 26, that was a second-round grade who got drafted in the first round. I was a guy who was supposed to go number one, so the talent was there. So that was great value for Green Bay, picking me where I was drafted. Again, when when uh, Brett Favre was speaking about he's going to be retiring, I don't know this, that, and the other. So there was a lot of differences between the Packers moving up the draft, Jordan Love at 26, and then the Packers a long time ago drafting Rodgers at number 24 where they still had a Hall of Fame quarterback at their disposal for the time being. So the comments he made, speaking about Rodgers, the comments he made about Love being picked on the show 10 Questions with Kyle Bryant last summer, kind of breaking down exactly how that went down, how he was feeling. He said that, you know what, hey man, part of the business, thought we might have been getting another ourselves another wide receiver, but uh, <laughs> interesting, very interesting. This is what Aaron Rodgers had to say. Big Raj gets up there with the card, the commissioner, with the 26th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. What's your reaction? Well, and I said this in the interview. I was, uh, you know, in, in uh, a few weeks after that, I was definitely surprised. You know, uh, when they drafted up, you know, I was watching the draft and, and thinking about which receiver might be there at that time. And I think... There was a run on him there in the early 20s. I know the kid from LSU where I loved watching uh, went, I think, to Minnesota in the early 20s. I knew the kid from Clemson was still there, and I enjoyed, enjoyed watching him as well. I didn't know maybe as much about him. And the kid from Arizona State as well, I think they, that they liked him. 
Um, and, you know, his teammate was with us, uh, uh, Manny Wilkins, a quarterback. So when they traded up, um, I was definitely a little uh, perked up a little bit. And then I got a text because everything's so delayed. I got a text from my agent, uh, Mark agent who I love and he said uh, he just texted quarterback and I was like oh wow okay so I love scotch but I've been drinking uh, some sipping tequila lately as well right and once I got that text I went to the pantry I poured myself uh, you know about uh, four fingers and I knew it was gonna be one of those nights where the people are gonna start calling and there's gonna be yeah. uh, you know you know hey you know they're fine you okay I'm like yeah fine like uh, you know I'm I wasn't, uh, like I said, I wasn't elated by the pick, you right. know, especially being one game away from the Super Bowl and feeling like we're a couple players away. But um, at the same time, I understand it's a business. I know, you know, I know, uh, I know that's, uh, that's a reality. So he was surprised by the decision, thought that when Green Bay was moving up in the draft, he assumed that they were drafting a wide receiver. The kid from LSU was Justin Jefferson. The kid from Clemson was T. Higgins. I don't know who the kid was from Arizona State. It might have been uh, Michael Pittman's kid. Did he play at Arizona State or USC? One of those two. But, uh, yeah, so he was under the assumption that uh, they were moving up to get a wide receiver for him. Agent texted him that they were going to draft a QB. He understood it was the business. It was a business decision, so emotionally, hey, man, it's like, fuck it, screw it. I'm, I'm cool, I'm good, this, that, and the other. So, you know, he seemed all right about it. Of course, this is a guy in Aaron Rodgers who um, doesn't let things go, holds a grudge, all of those things. Now, they're talking about he's upset with the San Francisco 49ers that um, they drafted Alex Smith, number one, instead of him, with him being from that part of the country. Um, I'm quite sure if the situation was there where the 49ers could have acquired Aaron Rodgers uh, a couple of days ago that uh, I think that grudge would have been lifted for him to go to an opportunity like that. That would have been a real perfect situation in terms of what Tom Brady went to in terms of, you know, going to a team from the New England Patriots, which he'd been there his entire career to make that transition to another team, but still make that transition to a team that still had a really good chance of winning the Super Bowl, that they were a Tom Brady quarterback play away from reaching that goal. I think for Aaron Rodgers, him going to the San Francisco 49ers, I think is the only team out there that he could replicate what Tom Brady did uh, last season. Uh, But, uh, you know, he's a guy who reportedly has been, you know, he holds grudges and uh, he doesn't forget. Got a mind like an elephant when it comes to that type of stuff. So... You know, it was a situation where all of this stuff was bubbling and, you know, another situation that could have led to the decision or his decision about wanting to leave Green Bay was the decision that Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the team, made late in the fourth quarter of the conference championship game between the Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past uh, conference championship season with the Packers down by eight points with a little more than two minutes remaining on fourth down. LaFleur decided to kick a field goal to cut the deficit to five instead of going for the tie or going for the score and then the two-point conversion to tie the game. They kicked the field goal to cut it to five, but Tampa Bay held on to the lead. Rodgers never got the ball back to try the score, and that was it. And compounding the mistake in that whole situation with Rodgers was unaware on third down 
that the Packers would be attempting a field goal if they didn't make it on third down, on fourth down. So what Roger said about that situation after the game, he said, Matt allowed me to call the play. Matt allowed me to call that third down play. If I had known we were going to kick it, if we had to get it, maybe I would have gone with some sort of crossing route there instead, but I thought we were going to have four chances to go. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, you know, I, I we want to go back to all of that. Look, the, 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 that wasn't a reason why. And I said that before in breaking down that game. Look, that wasn't a reason why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won that football game. It wasn't because of Matt LaFleur not going for it on fourth down or, or anything like that. Again, it was a situation where, A, they would have had to score, and B, they would have had to make the field, the two-point conversion just to tie the game. So it wasn't the situation where this was a – you know, uh, you, you score here, you win the football game type of things. And, of course, as anybody with a brain in their head knows that a game of that consequence, of that magnitude and how close it is, doesn't come down to one or two plays. It comes down to a multitude of plays throughout the game that puts either team in that situation to either win it or either lose it. So just to focus on that situation and say, well, that's the reason why Green Bay lost and that's the reason why Aaron Rodgers should lose all faith in Green Bay winning a championship. I, I think that would be erroneous. I think that would be wrongheaded. And, you know, I don't think that that would be right. So, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, speaking about Aaron Rodgers, he wants to go. He wants to leave. Here, here's my deal. Here's the thing that I have to ask Aaron Rodgers. Two questions. Say, for instance, they kick the field goal, get the five. Defense makes the play. You get the ball back. You go down, score. Green Bay wins. You go to the Super Bowl. Win or lose, do you still have this attitude? I mean, are you still at this point in your career? I mean, was it basically losing that NFC Championship game to Tampa that made you say, you know what, screw it, man. I got to get out of here. Because even if you would have pulled a rabbit out of your hat, even if you would have um, beaten Tampa Bay in the championship game, it doesn't erase the fact that Tampa did everything humanly possible to get Tom Brady the weapons that he needed to maximize the potential and the ability that Tom Brady had year one with this team. And the fact that Green Bay did nothing in the draft, the fact that Green Bay drafted Jordan Love, I mean, winning that NFC championship doesn't erase that fact. So if you're holding that grudge or if the reason why you want to leave is because of what the Green Bay Packers did with Jordan Love, drafting Jordan Love when they did, regardless of what the outcome would have been in the season, would you still have felt that way? Would you have been the guy that if they would have won the, the Super Bowl, beaten the uh, Kansas City defending champions, you would have said, well, screw it, I still want to get out of here? Or if you would have made it to the Super Bowl, maybe lost to Kansas City, you would have still been like, fuck it, I want to get out of here? I don't know. I don't know. And another question I have to ask you, Aaron, and look, if you want to leave, you want to leave. I'm not debating this or I'm not saying, you know, you're right or wrong to uh, want to leave. I mean, you're a California guy. You're an L.A. guy. You're marrying a beautiful woman. I guess you want to start a family. I mean, do you want to do that in L.A.? Do you want to do that in Green Bay, Wisconsin? So, you know, there's a whole other dynamic leading toward this for me to say, you know, you're right or you're wrong. I don't know Aaron Rodgers. I don't, I've never been to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I don't know what Aaron's likes and dislikes are. So I'm not going to break down um, Aaron Rodgers should stay in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is a bad guy for wanting to leave Green Bay. I'm, I'm not going to Terry Bradshaw myself and my opinions about 
Aaron Rodgers wanting to leave Green Bay. I'm quite sure there's other stuff going into this that that we don't know about. But I again, I would ask him if I had Aaron Rodgers across from me and he was talking about, yeah, Wendell, you know, I want to get the hell out of uh, Green Bay, and uh, you know, my uh, beautiful um, my beautiful wife has a couple of good-looking black and Asian women around your age who might want to say hello to you. Do you uh, do you object? To which I'd be saying hell fucking no. But getting back to reality is the fact that I would ask Aaron Jones, look, so if, Aaron Jones, I would ask Aaron Rodgers, look, A, if you would have beaten um, Tampa Bay in the championship game, would that have swayed your decision to stay or go with the Green Bay Packers? And if you do want to leave Green Bay, if you don't want to go back to the organization, which all reports say that you don't, are is this because of personal reasons business reasons, or I'm quite sure it's a combination of both. How much of this decision is being based on, I want to win, I want another chip, I want another Super Bowl, I want another opportunity, we maximize what we've had in Green Bay, I've got four or five, maybe six good years left, I want to maximize them as much as I can, so I want to win a Super Bowl, and I can't do it anymore in Green Bay, or is it you know what? I just don't like the people in Green Bay. I don't like Mark Murphy. I don't like the GM. I don't like the head coach. I don't like uh, the way I've been treated over the years. And I've had it. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm through. So if it means me throwing away the best opportunity for me to win a championship in the near future, in the next two or three years, so be it. I don't give a damn. I just don't want to be here anymore. How much are we speaking about here falls under that category. Cause again, I think it's a combination of both. I don't think it's 100%. I want to get out of here because I want to win. And I don't think it's 100%. I hate everybody associated with the green Bay Packers. Get me the hell out of here. I would just like to know which one of those emotions is leading the charge for you to get out of here. That's all. Or wanting to leave green Bay. That's it. Because if it's a situation where I want to win another ring, I want the best opportunity to win a championship. My advice to him, and he's not looking for my advice, and smart man for him to uh, not be looking for my advice, but my thought process and thinking would be, well, don't you have, if it's just all about winning, don't you have the best situation in Green Bay to win? I mean, if, again, San Francisco, they said no. If you're going to be looking to go to Denver, you're really thinking that Denver, in Denver, you have a better opportunity to win a Super Bowl? Going through Patrick Mahomesville, going through Bill Belichick deal, going through the township of Buffalo and Josh Allen, you you think those avenues are less uh, obstacle to get to the championship than if you stayed in the NFC in Green Bay and stayed with Green Bay? I mean, you got the best team in your division. What are the teams? that are going to be major players in terms of stopping you guys from going to the Super Bowl in the NFC. Reloading Tampa Bay Buccaneers, true. But other than that, what else do we, what else are we looking at? The Seattle Seahawks? The Matthew Stafford-led Los Angeles Rams? Any team from the NFC least? What, the Washington squad? The New York Giants squad? Dak Prescott is going to make that big of a difference with Dallas? They still can't stop anybody on defense. I don't give a damn if they did draft Micah Parsons. So what are we doing here? What are we talking about here? If you want to win, I would say stay in Green Bay. If you're under the situation where, look, man, you know, I, it's all about respect and this, that, and the other, okay, I understand. I, I, I can see where you want to go. But I, I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been, I, I think there has been a, 
a, a mulchrum of disrespect that's been given to Aaron Rodgers? I mean, the whole deal about to draft a quarterback and you don't even tell the man that you're going to draft a quarterback, that's bullshit and that's nonsense. That's, that's unacceptable and that's inexcusable. That's almost borderline fireable. Not to tell the best quarterback that's ever been in your franchise, all regards to, uh, all respect to Bart Starr and Brett Favre, um, that you're not going to just give him the heads up. But again, I, <laughs> the Packers didn't make it to the Super Bowl because they didn't have enough weapons on offense or their offensive weapons were weak or they needed to upgrade their offense. Their offense is fine. Now, a big part of that is Aaron Rodgers, of course. But, I mean, if, if, if you take a look, you have one of the best offensive lines of football. You have an all-pro left tackle. You have one of the most versatile running backs in the game in Aaron Jones, an elite receiver in De- Devontae Adams. You have a decent young receiving core. You got Marquette Valdez-Scantling. You have Equiminius uh, St. Brown. You have Alan Lazard. Okay, they're not, uh, you know, they're not Swan and Stallworth. They're not Taylor and Rice. They're not Reed, Carter, and Moss. But that's something that can work with. That's something that you can work with. Hell, it got you to 13-3. and three. How deficient on offense can you be to go 13-3, and three, especially when you have that defense? Knowing that the Packers have a bad defense, hey man, the Packers have done everything they could. Nine of the last ten draft, uh, number one draft picks have been on defense. You know, they, they've tried to draft, um, you know, something, some, some, some folks to help out on the other side. You know, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, uh, Demarius Randall, Clinton Dix, Dante Jones, Nick Perry. Any of those players that were drafted, any of those players of consequence for that team long-term has been Alexander, Clinton Dix, and Nick Perry. But they've tried. Now, maybe it goes back, that's the reason why that you want out of uh, Green Bay, that you don't feel that uh, the GM can uh, build you a squad that can compete on defense. I don't know. I I have no idea. But take a look at the quarterbacks in your conference that you're going to be going up against. Number one, you're not going to be going up against Patrick Mahomes right there. It's kind of like, hmm, maybe I should stick around in this conference. But yeah, Russell Westbrook, tough. Tom Brady, great. Kyler Murray, up and coming. Kirk Cousins, plateaued, but decent. Dak Prescott, strong. Matthew Stafford, let's see what he can do with a real squad uh, in front of him or with him. But, I mean, again, when you're going to be dealing with the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Seahawks at your greatest challenge, and you can stay out of the way of Kansas City, Again, are we speaking about Aaron Rodgers being disgruntled? Is it personal? Is it wanting to win? We won't know until we get a better understanding or until we hear something from Aaron Rodgers. So, I don't know. I don't know about this moving forward. Speaking about the Denver you know, the Denver Broncos, CBS Sports' Cody Benjamin presented four potential offers that could land Rodgers in Green Bay. Drew Locke, a 2022 first-rounder, 2023 first-rounder, 2024 first-rounder, 2022 second-rounder, 2023rd third-rounder. I mean, if you make that deal, does that get Aaron Rodgers any closer to winning a championship? If you're Green Bay, you're going to acquire Drew Locke. What does that mean for Jordan Love? I mean, there's a situation now, man, where if you go ahead and you trade Aaron Rodgers, you got to do something with Drew Locke. I mean, excuse me, you got to do something with uh, Jordan Love. You got to do something with him. Because if you don't, if you go ahead and get yourself another quarterback, if you make the trade for Drew Locke, 
with the Broncos in the trade for Aaron Rodgers. What are we doing here? What are we talking about here? Why did you draft Jordan Love in the first place? Because now you have another unproven quarterback in Drew Locke to go with a quarterback who's even more unproven than Drew Locke in Jordan Love. And Drew Love and Drew Locke is at the age where it's like, look, this guy ain't 38 years old. This guy ain't Andy Dalton. This guy ain't Ryan Fitzpatrick. When are we going to see if Jordan Love can do anything? And A, you can't do it after your team goes 13 and 3. So 13 and 3 going down to the NFC Championship game, the last minute of the NFC Championship game, two years being right there at the cusp of getting to the Super Bowl, and now you're gonna blow it up? And then you're gonna now you're gonna put in now you're gonna put in Jordan Love? Or now you're going to proceed with Drew Locke? Doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense. There's something going on. I think it's personal with the um with Rodgers in the Green in the Green Bay Packers. I remember years ago he was pissed off at the Packers because they got rid of his quarterback coach, who he had a, a good relationship with. They fired him and he was pissed off about that. So maybe this is building. Maybe this just goes more than them not drafting a receiver instead of drafting a quarterback and drafting a quarterback to move up and all of this other hullabaloo that we're coming about right now. Maybe it's just like I said, a, a dissension and disgust and wanting to move. Uh, you know, this is all started by a thousand cuts. You know, maybe the cut number 999 and cut number 1000 was the drafting of Jordan Love, ignoring getting a wide receiver and the moves made in the NFC championship game. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll have to find out. So there you go. Aaron Rodgers looking to move on all of this stuff. Well, he'll just be a, you know, he'll just be on jeopardy. Eh. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers wants to play, I don't know, man, it's pretty, pretty tough to, uh, sit there and be like, you know, I'm, I can give this up like that. I mean, football players, especially NFL football players, I mean, how many of them, with the exception of superstars, legendary players, Hall of Famers who have been playing, who have played for the Detroit Lions and have that organization just strip and take all the love of the game of football away from them by having to deal with that organization? But outside of that, how many NFL players who are great and who are still great say, hey, you know what, I'm cool by walking away. If Aaron Rodgers still has... In his mind, three or four really elite years of football playing left. Don't tell me that he's cool with just retiring and going on to Jeopardy. Or, you know, hanging on his wife's coattails and maybe getting some parts in movies or TV shows. I mean, if you're Aaron Flippin' Rodgers and you're still that man and you still got that swag and you still got that confidence and you still got that ability, hey man, this is football playing, okay? You only get this opportunity to do this once. You only get a small window, a small time frame to do this at a high level one time. You can't retire. I mean, this shit ain't like riding a bike. I mean, once you get off that bike and you're a football player, especially at the age of 38, you can't get back on it at 45 and pick up where you left off. So Aaron Rodgers, you better be careful if you're sitting there talking about, I'm going to show up, I'll go ahead and do something else. Something tells me if you go ahead and do some shit like that (laughs) by next, I don't know, October, November, December, someone's going to be pretty miserable. I don't care how many double jeopardy uh, uh, rounds you do. So, and if you're the Green Bay Packers for that organization, what do you do? So there's a lot of things stirring the 
meal hasn't been made yet. The ingredients still haven't been formulated yet. The plan still hasn't been dictated yet. We don't know what's going. We're still early on in this in this drama as the Aaron Rodgers turns. So get your popcorn ready because the best is still yet to come. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm not saying the number one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lied. I'm the number one, two, three, four, and five. Oh, man. You know what? When I do my podcast, people are like, man, Wendell, your podcasts are so long. What the fuck? I say, let me tell you something, man. Let me explain a little bit about my podcast, all right? Yes, I might go a little bit long, but I like to think of my podcast as kind of like going to one of like a fabulous buffet, right? Like if I told you that you could go to a buffet and you could go to the Michael Simon station or you could go to the Bobby Flay station or you could go to the Marcus Samuelson station or you could go to the Amanda Freitag station or you could go to the Alex Gornicelli station. I mean, all of these Absolutely fabulous Iron Chef, the Jeffrey Sakarian station. And you could pick out any meal that you wanted to. Maybe you wanted to go to Flay and Simon and, and Gornichelli and pick out something. And then after you're done with that, you come back, you go to Mark Murphy's station or Marcus Samuelson's station or, uh, you know, the wonderful and talented and absolutely beautiful um, Manit Chaldron station and pick up something there. And each one of these Stations that you go to have scrumptious meals, fantastic meals, stuff that'll blow your mind, fabulous, mouth-watering, delicious. These are all highly trained Iron Chefs that we're talking about here. So it ain't no bullshit. It ain't no um, scrap in the pan type of stuff, right? Would you be upset? Even if, for instance, the one time that you go that, you know what, maybe next time I'll go to Flay Station, but right now I'm not really into Flay. I'm more into Gorda Shelley. I'm more into Samuelson. I'm still in, I'm more in the Mark Murphy type. But next time around, you better believe that I'm going back to Frytag. You're going back, I'm going back to Chowdron. I'm going back to Cat Cora. I'm going back to Zakari. I'm going back to them types of stations to get what I want because all of these meals, all of these foods that they're putting together is absolutely delicious, right? Well, that's how it is with me and my podcast. 
I mean, do you want to listen to me talk a little NFL? Do you want to listen to me talk about a little NBA? Do you want to listen to me talk about a little Otis Redding? Do you want to listen to me talk about a little what's going on in our community social-wise? Do you want to listen to me talk about what's happening in with Georgetown? Do you want to listen to me what's talking about, you know, currently in all of these sports? Do you want to? Maybe you're going to be more excited about what my talking about was with the NFL draft more than what I was talking about with the uh, play-in game. Or maybe in another situation you want to hear what I have to talk about with police before more than I want to, more than you're interested in hearing what I have to say about Major League Baseball. Maybe you want a little smidgen of what I'm talking about with Georgetown basketball more than what I'm talking about with the uh, NFL and the Washington Snyder Skins. You know, whatever. I give you a choice. I'm not asking you to sit there and listen from pillar to post my entire podcast unless, you know, you're on a long trip, unless you're um, on a long flight, unless you're stuck somewhere and you need some companionship, you need some good listening to, you need something to laugh at, you need something to disagree with, you need something to get emotionally hot, cold with. I'm good for that also. But, you know, if you're at work and you need something to get you through uh, lunch to your next break, if you need something that's going to get you through to the end of the day, if you're going to need something that's going to get you going at work from when you first get there at 7 in the morning to your first break at 9 o'clock or 9.15 or 9.30, my show is there for you and it gives you plenty of different ways for you to enjoy it. To, to enjoy it. So for me, I never worry about the length of the show. I never do. Never do. Because if you don't want to listen to the first two and a half hours, fuck it, don't listen. You know, there's, there's timestamps to where you can go to, which might interest you more. Does you want to listen to the whole damn thing? Hey, man, you know, your life, your funeral. So there you go. There you go. Ah, Wendell's World of Sports. Ooh, Monique Chaldron. That woman is so gorgeous. Beautiful. Her husband, man. High five. High five. Shake your hand. Give you depth. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So getting down to, is anybody here? You, 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 anyone excited about the NBA play-in games? How it works, the number seven and number eight seed in each conference, you're going to play one game. The winner of the seventh seed in the game between the seventh and the eighth seed, that winner is going to be in the playoff. They will represent the number seven seed. The number nine and tenth seed will, pl- will play one game. The loser, bet- the loser between the ninth place team and the tenth place team in each conference will be eliminated from playoff contention. So that means the loser of the 7-8 game and the winner of the 9-10 game will each play each other to determine who's going to be the eighth and final team to make the playoff spot. You better write this down because I'm telling you, later on in the period, there's going to be a quiz. And I don't want to hear you bitching and I don't want to hear you moaning and I don't want to hear your eyes rolling. Well, that'd be tough to hear your eyes rolling. I don't want to see your eyes rolling. I don't want to see you moping. Because if you do, I will slap the living shit out of you. So, again, the 7th and 8th seeds will play one game. The winner, that gets the number 7 seed. The 9 and 10 seeds will play one game. That loser will be eliminated from the playoffs. So, the winner of the 9-10 game will play the loser of the 7-8 game. The winner of that game will represent the number 8 seed. Say that 10 times fast. Biatch. So, you take a look at the tournament which is going to, the play-in game is going to begin May 18th, which is uh, coming up in about uh, two weeks. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, so it's going to be two weeks from uh, my recording of this on Tuesday. So Tuesday, May 18th, it's going to end Friday, May 21st. 
The first round of the NBA playoffs are going to begin May 22nd. I'm guessing that the 7th and 8th seed teams will probably be playing that Sunday, so it'll at least give them a little bit of time off. So the last day of the NBA regular season is going to be Sunday, May 16th. So, with less than 10 games left to go in the season, if the season ended today, what would the play-in tournament look like? Well, in the Western Conference, you would have the Golden State Warriors, who are the number eight seed currently, playing the Portland Trail Blazers, the number seven seed. And the San Antonio Spurs, who are the number 10 seed, would be playing the Memphis Grizzlies, who are the number nine seed. And in the Eastern Conference, you would have the Charlotte Hornets, who are the number eight seed. They would be on the road to play the Boston Celtics, who are the number seven seed, and the my Washington Wizards, who are currently number 10 in the Eastern Conference, they would go on the road and play the Indiana Pacers, who are number nine. And those who are outside of the tournament in terms of, you know, teams who are currently fifth and fourth in the Western and Eastern Conference, but still have an opportunity or still have the possibility of losing their way into the playing games, the Los Angeles Lakers. They are one game ahead of Portland for the number seven spot. And the Dallas Mavericks with Luka, they're a half game ahead of Portland for the number seven spot. So a bad loss, a couple of bad losses or whatever. Luka gets another technical, which means he would have to, he would be suspended for one game after he got two technicals and was thrown out the, uh, uh, the last game that he played. I mean, we could be looking at a play-in game, which could have, the um, Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Lakers going up against the Golden State Warriors. Interesting. And in the Eastern Conference right now, Atlanta, they're one and a half games ahead of Boston for the number seven spot, and Miami is one game ahead of Boston for the same number seven spot. So the interesting storylines that could be playing out in these games, I mean, you know what, is anybody going to be upset? Is anybody Going to be sitting up there talking about, damn, man, I can't believe for the playing game we're going to have Steph Curry versus Damian Lillard, two top six MVP candidates. Both of them have the ability to take the game over and score anywhere between 50, 55, 60 points in the game of consequence. That sounds horrible. That sounds terrible. That sounds like a bad idea. That sounds like it's bad for the league. Doesn't sound that way to me. All of these games have interesting storylines. What's going to happen if the Boston Celtics don't make the playoffs? What changes are they going to make? How hot or what is going to be the temperature under Brad Stevens' tush in the seat if the Boston Celtics don't make the playoffs? I don't think Danny Ainge is going to do something stupid and fire the guy, but this would be a massively underrated and disappointing season for the Boston Celtics if they don't make the playoffs. What does that mean for the duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? What does that mean for the future of Kimball Walker with this squad if the Boston Celtics flame out and don't make the uh, playoffs? That's something that is going to happen. Oh, that's the storyline that's right there. Who doesn't want to see LaMelo Ball in his first, you know, opportunity of consequence and see what he's going to be doing, the presumptive rookie of the year? And the way that guy is playing, already this early, getting himself some really valuable experience and a playoff intensity type game that he's going to be in, even though it's not going to be your traditional four out of seven, three out of five, even best two out of three, uh, with the NBA has been constituting as far as their playoff system for uh, for a, a long period of time. But for a game 
such as this, where a win could propel them to the playoffs, it will be interesting to see that young team in Charlotte being owned by Michael Jordan. You know, guys like Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington and, of course, LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges, that young squad, it will be paramount for those guys to take part in this playoff game and get that type of experience and then have the ability to move in to the playoffs with the possibility of participating in that real tournament. So, yeah, man, that's a storyline that's going to be interesting. Can the triple-double machine known as Russell Westbrook put up the same type of numbers in the playoff and the play-in game against Indiana that he had the other night where he put up 24 assists, 21 rebounds, and 14 points in a fabulous performance on Monday night where the team, where the wins, my wins scored like, what, 154 or 156 points, a very... A very Rucker-like, a very Drew Summer League-like performance of a score of 154 to 146 or some nonsense like that. But uh, all of these things provide me with the opinion that, you know what, hey, man, the play-in game, it doesn't sound bad to me. doesn't sound horrible, horrible to me. And as I mentioned before, in the first part of the first part of the podcast, hey, man, how can it be horrible if the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers with the LeBron James, are going to be playing in a playoff game? That's not going to be interesting. That's not going to get some eyeballs. That's not going to do, uh, get some buzz for the league. So, yeah, this is, a, this is a great way. This is a great deal for the NBA. It's going to prevent tanking. No, no, no. That, that's, not a, that's not going to prevent tanking. The Orlando Hornets have been tanking for the longest. The Minnesota Timberwolves have been taking. The Oklahoma City Thunder have been doing everything humanly possible to lose basketball games. So it's not going to stop all teams from tanking, but it'll stop less teams from tanking. And for teams that are tanking of non-consequence, I mean, you you have some teams that are already in the playoffs that they have a spot already cemented whether it be the number one seed, number four seed, number three seed, the last couple of days you're going to start seeing guys take off and get rested for the playoffs. So you know, in a way, it's uh, it's another it's another degree of tanking or another degree of not putting your best team on the floor for the paying consumer. So you know, be be that as it may. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. LeBron James is not a fan of the playing game. Interesting what he said about. The play-in tournament after Sunday night's loss to Toronto. Whoever came up with that shit needs to be fired. Uh, the Lakers need LeBron. I mean, I understand he's upset, and I understand that, you know what, the ankle is frustrating him and, and all those type of things. But, man, I'm telling you, man, for a guy who uh, halfway through the season until that incident in Atlanta, uh, in Atlanta, in Atlanta with Solomon Hill falling on his ankle, from that perch of him being at the MVP level, one of the leaders for the MVP, to where he is now fighting to stay out of the play-in game, the play-in tournament, yikes, yikes, yokes. Um, they're going to need him to win, obviously. Lakers aren't going nowhere without LeBron James, obviously. The Lakers aren't going anywhere without with, with a 60% LeBron James. A 50% LeBron James. You're not going anywhere. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to lose in the playing tournament, but do you really think a hobbling LeBron James and a less than 75% Anthony Davis 
is going to be able to overcome what the Phoenix Suns are putting down right now, what the Utah Jazz are being like right now, even though they face their own injuries. Donovan Mitchell has been missing time with an ankle injury and such. But, um, you know, I think Denver has done remarkably well since losing Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic solidifying his MVP stature and status with the type of performance that he's uh, been giving us since the Jamal Murray went down. But, you know, you put these teams out there, man, the Clippers, um, the Jazz, the Suns, LeBron James at 55% can't overcome that. If LeBron James is going to be 55%, Anthony Davis better be 95 And guess what? Anthony Davis ain't going to be 95% healthy, rip-roaring, ready to go. In that case, who are you going to turn to if you're at the Lakers? Dennis Schroeder? Has anybody seen Marcus Saul? And Andre Drummond is going to uh, save the day? Kyle Kuzma is going to step up and do something? KCP is going to hit enough wide-open jump shots to uh, mitigate the losses or mitigate, uh, uh, mitigate the limitations that uh, LeBron and AD are going to present in their in their uh, state in their state of health right now when you're going to be dealing with some of the monsters that are in the Western Conference as far as franchises are concerned no don't think that's going to happen don't think that's going to happen so I like it man I, I like the fact that we have this playing game I like the fact that the Lakers might have to play in the playing game I like the fact that the Lakers are pummeling toward the play-in game. And uh, what would be awesome is somehow, some way, we could get a, we could get Steph Curry, we could get LeBron, and we could get Luka all in the uh, playoffs and Dame Willard. You know, I love Pop and San Antonio, but okay, great. And I love uh, John Morant and what they're doing in Memphis, but yeah, okay. I mean, you know, for ratings and for entertainment value, I mean, in the playoffs, we got to have Luka. We got to have Steph. We got to have LBJ. No matter what state he is health-wise. So there you go. A postseason without LeBron just just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. So that's about it. Say, how are you doing, by the way? You doing all right? You hanging in there? You like the segment? You don't like the segment? What's, what's happening? What's going on? You know what I think you need right now before we get out of here and I talk about what's happening with my community, the shame that I have in my community right now, the disappointment that I have in my community right now. I, I think you need to be lifted. I think you need to be pumped up. I think you need to be intensified. You need a, you need a Jericho promo. You need a, yeah, you need the best man on the stick Right now, no, not Roman Reigns, no, not Kenny Omega, no, not John Moxley, no, not Daniel Bryan, no, not Drew McIntyre, no, not MVP, no, not Adam Cole. I'm talking about the best. No, not even Paul Heyman. I'm talking about the best. And I'm talking about a guy who's going to put it to you straight. I'm talking about a guy in Chris Jericho who's going to tell you that coming up tomorrow, blood and guts. When the inner circle, inner, inner circle takes on the pineapple. What that, Sammy? I'm sorry. The pinnacle. In this blood and guts match, let Jericho explain exactly what's going to be going down. Let Jericho explain the journey that he took and why he is the best and why the pinnacle doesn't have a chance against Hagar and Sammy and the rest of those guys. Let Jericho explain 
before we get down to Boogie, the greatest, the champion, go ahead. What do you have to say to the Pineapples? I mean, the Pinnacle, MJF, Tully, and the rest of those guys. Tell them what you're putting down. You self-righteous, self-gratifying little prick. How dare you be so entitled to think that you can have somebody's spot just because you want it. That you can inherit a spot like you inherited the trust fund that your mommy and daddy gave you when you were 18 years old. Or maybe you think you can absorb a spot via osmosis. Or maybe it's a big Tetris game that as soon as Jericho goes left, MJF slides right in. It doesn't work that way. You want a spot? You gotta earn it. You said last week that at 25 years old, I was curtain jerking in WCW. And you're damn right I was. And damn proud of it, because that's what led me to where I am today. What you didn't mention is that 25 years old, I'd already headlined arenas around the world in Japan and Mexico and Germany. And that's another reason why I'm here today, because that's where I learned respect. That's where I got experience and life lessons, and that's where I earned the reputation that put me at the top of this game. If you want my spot, a good place to start earning it is by beating me and the inner circle at Blood and Guts. But you're not gonna do that because we are Blood and Guts! No! No! No, 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 no! You're not cutting my promo off! We are Blood and Guts! And you wanna talk about a family? This is a family! How long do you know these jackoffs for? Three months? This family has been part of AEW since day one! This man had my back when I was threatened assassination in Abu Dhabi in 2012! These lap dogs are a pack of wild animals that have torn and clawed their way to the top of AEW, and I owe them for that! This man right here, I brought him personally to the inner circle, and because of you, he quit! And that's not gonna happen again. You are not gonna get in the middle of the inner circle, and you're not gonna beat us at blood and guts. You won't make us submit, and you are gonna have to kill us to make us surrender. You are going to have to kill us to make us surrender. And when that doesn't happen, we're gonna step on you like the pile of crap that you are, wipe our feet on the concrete, and look down at the only spot that you deserve. And I'll finish with this. If 1969 was the summer of love, 2021 is going to be the summer of violence and pain for the pinnacle. And next week, on May 5th, at Blood and Guts, summer starts early for you! Yes, yes, y'all, you don't stop. Better and only better we have gotten this 
So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast. Woo. Boy, I tell you, man. <laughs> it just, I mean, as far as all around performance concerned, Kenny Omega, I'll say it again. That that's my man. But as far as just pure entertainment is concerned, when you, when the man grabs the microphone, I'm speaking about Chris Jericho. Magic. Absolutely, positively magic. What that guy, the way that guy conveys the message, I mean, it, it's for all of those who want to get on the mic and talk and do all that type of stuff. As far as the wrestling business is concerned, there's no one better right now than Paul Heyman and Chris Jericho. By far, by far, by far. And you speak about all the great talkers in wrestling from Nick Bockwinkle to Bobby Heenan to uh, Hogan with Mean Gene and um, Savage in his, in his performance and Roddy Piper and um, The Rock, of course, and Stone Cold said so. And, you know, leading all the way up, CM Punk was great on the mic. I mean, all of these things, you know, I mean, the wrestling, entertainment, this, that, and the other, soap opera for male, all of that good stuff. I enjoy the most about wrestling is the athleticism that these guys present to us, the ability to do what they do. The ability and the dedication and the passion that they have for their art, for their craft, and their willingness to go through hell, the willingness to put their body through all types of pain just to entertain folks and make some money doing it and all those type of things. But the shit that they, those guys have to go through to uh, go out there on a basis and do what they do, taking years off their life, you, you, you got to respect that. You have to respect that. So I love the performance. I love the storytelling. And I love when a guy can get on the mic and get the job done like Chris, Je like Chris Jericho. Kevin Owens is another one who I immensely enjoy. Anytime he puts the microphone in his hand and he starts talking. Sammy, Sammy Zayn, when he has a good character, it's another guy who I immensely enjoy. MVP is a guy is a, that I've always enjoyed with the mic in his hand. Drew McIntyre has gotten a lot better uh, since his days. Sheamus, all of those guys, when you hit that when you hit that big time, for the most part, I mean, even the Miz is really good with the stick in his hand. I mean, you have some. Bobby Lashley needs a lot of improvement. Um, Johnny Mor John Morrison has never been good on the mic. AJ Styles is good. Now you got Omas. Hopefully he'll be able to uh, at least become somewhat adequate on the mic, but I can see him needing a needing someone to talk to him for a long time. Roman Reigns has gotten a lot better. This character that he has right now has really elevated his game to put him, you know, right at the top in terms of the elite of what's going on with wrestling right now. Daniel Bryan, all around great performer. Just you know, it's 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 awesome. It ain't for kids. It ain't for kids anymore. Braun Strowman sucks, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you know, in an adult manner, the way I look at it, wrestling's just awesome. Wrestling is just a really good form of entertainment. Maybe not raw at the current present time right now. You know, we'll see what happens. We got the three-way with Bobby Lashley and 
Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman, good Lord have mercy. The women's division is an, is an absolute mess and a joke. And the beautiful Alexa Bliss, I don't know exactly what they're doing for her. I have no direct, I have no idea what they're doing with uh, Asuka. It's just, I mean, Raw is just a clusterfuck and, and damn near unwatchable if it isn't for just a handful of guys right now. But uh, yeah, man, Chris Jericho at the age of damn near 50. I think he is 50, 51 somewhere. I know he's around my age. To still be able to do what he does in his skill level. He's building his resume as being on that Mount Rushmore with, you know, Bruno San Martino, Nick Bockwinkle, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, John Cena. That's the greatest of all time. He might not have ever reached that stature that Hogan and Rock and Austin and Cena got to, but just in terms of longevity, I mean, how can you say that the guy doesn't belong up there as one of the greatest of all time, at least in this generation? So, all right, that's my wrestling take for right now for today. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let Let me end the segment, the show, the podcast, mentioned before. Extremely disappointed, extremely embarrassed right now in my community. And it stems from this story. And as a couple is speaking out tonight after they say their teen was attacked during a basketball game, both with punches and racial slurs. But that's not all they're upset about. KPX 5's Maria Medina with the video of the basketball court confrontation. altercation caught on camera between two local AAU or amateur athletic union teams ended with this punch to the head. Not one single parent stood up to go protect my son. I ran across the gym to go, you know, get him. But Lenny says the attack against her son Evan and his team, the South Bay Snipers, happened well before the punch. They did use the, the C word. Two-thirds of the team are Asian. They claim the team seen in black jerseys, the San Francisco Generals, repeatedly used racial slurs on the court. Then this happened. Where my son essentially go for the loose ball, and as both of them are going up, the kid on the ground pushed him. That's when another player jumps in, pushes Evan to the ground, then seconds later punches Evan in the head. But what angers his parents even more is what they claim didn't happen next. The worst part is no one apologized. How is a foul, a technical foul, not called when he's obviously, you know, punching him in the face? The parents say not only didn't anyone jump in or reprimand the players, they claim the director of the tournament, Grassroots 365, initially refused to watch video of the incident. He said, oh, we saw what happened, we saw what happened. And and I was pressing them because I'm like, if you saw what happened, you, you should not let that go. Evan's parents say the punch left him with a concussion and left them angry. No one condemned the alleged racial and physical attacks. We pay a lot of money. A lot of families pay a lot of money for this AAU. It just makes, you know, parents not want to pay all this money to put their kids in danger if they're not going to be protected and be safe. And the parents say the player who threw the punch was eventually banned from today's game, but not the player who initially pushed Evan. Evan's parents plan to file a report with Oakland police. In San Jose, Maria Medina, KPIX 5. Unacceptable, inexcusable, shameful, disgusting, 
No, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the excuses. I don't want to hear the reasons. I don't want to hear it. That's bullshit, y'all. That's some fucking bullshit. Absolute positive bullshit. You know when Joe Biden was talking about super predators? You know the people who did, you know, super predators do exist. You know those kids who did some bullshit like that? They're going to grow up to be super predators. They're on their way of being super predators. Yes, there are super predators in our community. Yes, there are super predators who sell drugs. Yes, there are super predators who will shoot you just because of the color of a shirt or a hat or a piece of clothing that you wear. You know what those people are called? You know what they're called? Super predators. It ain't racist. It's the fucking truth. Now, do we exaggerate that? Do we blow that out of context? Do some people use that for their advantage to divide and and uneducate? Yes. But still, some bullshit like that? Unacceptable. Fucking unacceptable. Fuggish activity. Fuggish. Absolutely no place for some bullshit like that. Asian teenage basketball player punched in the face during the game this weekend after allegedly being called a racial swear. What the fuck are we doing? Huh? What the fuck are we doing? What what gives black folks the right to be doing that bullshit toward another ethnic group? After all of that bullshit that we've been going through, how many times have we been called nigger throughout the centuries of living in this country? Now we're going to turn around and throw some ignorance and throw some stupidity and throw some racism, bigotry toward another ethnic group? We're going to do that? We're going to go out and do that. That's going to be our plan. That's going to be our goal. That's going to be our avenue that we're going to go down, huh? The video of the violence was all captured on video. It was on video. The altercation went down on Saturday in Oakland, California, doing an AAU game between the South Bay Snipers and the San Francisco Generals. In the video, the teenager identified only as Evan is seen being pushed by a player from the San Francisco Generals, the opposing team. Evan manages to get up, but is then pushed again by a second player from the opposing team, both of them black. After a verbal verbal exchange, Evan's opponent eventually punches him in the head. In the head. That punk-ass bitch couldn't even drop him. Tough guy. Evan's parents alleged that just before the melee, general players had called him and his teammates anti-Asian slurs. Why? Why? What? Where? Why? What? Where are we coming from? What's the mindset here? And where are the apologists? I got to hear from my community. Where are our community apologists? Because this is unacceptable. There's no excuse. Zero I don't want to hear because we're a downtrodden community. I don't want to hear we went ahead and did this shit because the white folks are keeping us down. I don't want to hear that shit. I don't want to hear that shit because we just came out of a Trump presidency. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that as an excuse because there is none. That is no excuse. That's bullshit. That's nonsense. That's ignorance. And that's unacceptable. To be doing some shit like that. After everything that we've been through in this country... What we're still going through in this country, every fucking single day trying to get to some type of common ground where we can get true equality, racism, eradicate racism, discrimination, stereotype. Every single day we're fighting this shit. Every single day we got to go through this world being black and all of the bullshit that comes with it, all of the hardship that comes with it, all of the dangers that come with it. 
from other groups trying to put us down, from white folks trying to put us down and other groups, mainly white folks trying to put us down. Then we're going to turn around and act like those folks. Then we're going to turn around to another ethnic group and act like the oppressor who has been oppressing us. Really? And then what? We're going to come out and say, well, it's because of our upbringing. Well, it's because of the situation we have in our country, because of the country's history and how we've been downtrodden, how we've been racially oppressed and how we've been discriminated against. No, 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 no excuse, no excuse, no excuse, no excuse. Stop fucking Asian hate. Stop it. Stop it. For all of these fucking units running around talking about Asians are the reason why we're in the situation that we are in with the coronavirus and how my blood boils when I hear that type of ignorance, when I hear that type of stupidity, and it lends me to my opinion that no, we are not the United States of America. We are more stupid than anything else. Why? Example, based on that type of thinking, thinking, based on that type of bullshit, that Asian Americans are responsible for the coronavirus and the and the state of our country right now concerning this virus. Or the state of our country was eight months ago, ten months ago, twelve months ago concerning this virus. That somehow, some way, Asian Americans are responsible for it. It's the type of stupid ass shit like that that makes my fucking blood boil. And it makes my fucking blood boil because these people are so fucking stupid who believe that. And it allows for politicians to realize how fucking stupid these people are and to use these fucking idiots and to push their agenda of bigotry and division and race baiting and hate. And these people who are thinking this are too fucking stupid to realize that they're being used. So you got the Tucker Carlson's and you got the Laura Ingram's and you got the Sean Hannity's and you got the Michael Savages, and you got the Luke Dobbs, and you got the the the, the, the coons like um, Candace Owens and the rest of those fucking clowns who seize on the imbeciles and the weak-minded and the ignorant and the privileged and the foolish and the dumbasses, and they sell that shit and you stupid motherfuckers buy it hook, line, and sinker. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the fan clubs of the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Josh Hollies, the Louis Gomers, the Teddy Cruises, all of those stupid motherfuckers who actually believe in those race-baiting, low-life cretins. You give, black folks give all of those people this ammunition. When some stupid shit like that goes down, black folks up there or this team up there calling, um, making anti-Asian slurs. Don't you idiots fucking know? And that shit was captured on video. Don't you fucking people know that these race baiting jackasses are going to take that shit? And the next time they want to push their agenda toward discrimination, toward gerrymandering, toward non-police reform, toward um, all of that nonsense, voter suppression. This is the type of shit they're going to use. 
This is the type of shit that Tucker Carlson's going to be talking about. This is the type of shit that um, Candace Owens is going to bring up. This is the type of shit that Paris Denard is going to be talking about. This is the type of shit that Jason Whitlock is going to be talking about. And it's bullshit, and it's wrong, and it doesn't symbolize what the entire black community is all about. But still, come on, man, what the fuck? How can we be so goddamn stupid? And the parents, the fact that they, the the, 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 uh, team that was attacked, they're two-thirds Asian, and when this punk, when this thug, when this lowlife, when this piece of garbage sucker punched this kid, that nobody came to his defense? Nobody? None of the parents said anything? None of the parents were outraged as far as on the other team is concerned? The, 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 the parents from the uh, Asian team sure as hell were. But this guy gets punched in the head and he's now concussed after a game where the generals, they're, they're, these kids are calling these guys anti-slurs, anti-Asian slurs, calling them, calling them chinks. Really? Really? We're that fucking ignorant, huh? My community is, 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 is gone down to that level, huh? We're, we're hitting that level, huh? We're, we're, we're okay with that, huh? We're just going to sit in the stands and let that shit just pass on by, huh? Your child, your child, the one that you created, the one that you're supposed to be raising to be a responsible human being, to be a responsible adult. This, you're just going to go ahead and let that, let your son go ahead and say that shit, huh? No big fucking deal. Lord fucking knows if that San Francisco general team, they're playing a white team from um, Walnut Creek. The Lord knows if one of them white kids would have said nigger consistently throughout the game. Would your asses would have been sitting on the sidelines then? Would your asses have been doing something then? Give me a fucking break, man. Give me a goddamn fucking break with that bullshit. Pisses me the fuck off. Again, this is not our, it's not our entire community. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But goddamn, even with a small instant like that, we cannot go down to that fucking level. And any time something like that creeps its way up, because black folks aren't a monolith. So when shit like that happens, man, we need to come and squash that shit out immediately. We need to condemn that bullshit immediately. And we need to say it like it is. Fucking racist behavior from our community will not be accepted. Will not be excused. Can't do it. Cannot fucking do it. Parents say Evans sustained concussion from the punch. Tournament officials banned the attacker from the general's game on Sunday. That motherfucker should be arrested. But Evans' father said... The worst part is no one apologized. No one apologized. So if a white kid again, I will say it again, a white kid from Pleasanton, we're playing the San Francisco Generals, called this guy a nigger, pushed him down, then sucker punched him, and black folks didn't even get an apology, and that white kid wasn't suspended for the entire tournament or worse. You don't think black folks would be raising holy hell? You don't think Al Sharpton and the rest of those fucking uh, uh, glory hounds would be flying out to San Francisco to be saying some shit? You don't think Joy Reid on Twitter or on her show would have been mentioning something like that? You don't think Don Lemon would have brought that up? And I'm not saying they're wrong, because I would have on my podcast. I would have been saying the same damn thing. I would have been just as outraged. 
So where are we now? So when we're the ones doing the abusing, when my community, even the small example, if the one who are being the oppressors are acting in ignorance, where are folks to say, no, man, that ain't right. That ain't going down. I mean, goddamn, we don't need to give the idiots and the privileged on the other sides of a track more ammunition for us to hate us, for us not to understand us, for us not to get to want to know anything about us. I mean, we don't need any more ammunition. Those idiots, all they all they need to do is turn on Fox News. All those jackasses need to do is turn on the um, N1. All those fucking clowns need to do is turn on Alex Jones. All those idiots need to do is listen to uh, Tim Scott. All those guys need to do is go on Twitter, social media, Facebook, and others, and, and listen to the Coon Squad, the Paris Denards and the Candace Owens of the world, the Jason Whitlocks of the world. I mean, they've got plenty of ammunition. We don't need to be feeding them more. Something as concrete as this. And then we, we feed them the shit. We don't say anything. Out of sight, out of mind. So guess what? When some shit like that goes down on the other side and we're the, we're the victims of this, guess what those idiots on Fox News are going to do? Guess what those right-wing, far-right-wing jackasses are going to do? Oh, yeah, when black folks uh, act that way, I don't hear anything from them, so why should we go ahead and do the same thing when we do that to uh, them? And white folks are going to be stupid enough, or a certain, a certain number of white folks are going to be sitting up there stupid enough to go, yeah, I guess you're right on that one. Folks in the Ozarks, folks in uh, Appalachia, Folks who don't live around black folks, folks who don't know anything about black folks, they're just going to sit there and listen to those jackasses and say, yeah, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, hell, they're shooting everybody in Chicago, right? Isn't that the same thing these ignorant, stupid motherfuckers say every time something goes down where white folks act stupid toward black people and then white folks say, well, I mean, I don't know why you guys are getting so upset. Black folks are shooting black folks in Chicago every single minute of every single day. So why should we care if the police murder an innocent black person. You guys are doing it to yourselves. Ignorant, stupid, racist, bigotry, privileged, all of those things. But damn, man, we don't need to be giving them clowns <clears throat> any more ammunition. And before black folks lose their mind and start calling me names, again, this is not a situation where all black folks think this way. I'm not saying that at all. But shit, you know how hard it is as black folks. You know how hard it is for us to make any type of inroads if we try to make them in terms of trying to educate those in terms of what we're all about, what we're putting down. You know how hard that shit is. And we need to do that shit because guess what? There's a 2022 midterm coming along. And right now, there's one side of the folks who are trying to do everything they can to marginalize our power. Marginalize our power to gain the proper respect and gain the proper power and gain the pop proper uh, things that we need to be equal with everybody else. They're using everything that they fucking can. They're doing everything that they fucking can to try to keep us, to try to... uh uh, oppress us for the 2022. So they're secretly putting in these voting right laws that's going to mar try to marginalize us even more. And then we go ahead in a portion in a group of my brothers and sisters, young bucks, go out there and do something stupid like this. And the parents 
don't have the fucking decency or the common sense to go ahead and say something. And again, I'll say it again. Where's LeBron James? Where's Chris Paul? Where's Malcolm Jenkins? Where's the NFL? Where's the NBA PA? Where are all of these folks where if this would have been a black kid that this happened to, Lord knows somebody, the kid who got assaulted, Lord knows he would have gotten some NBA sneakers from somebody autographed. He would have gotten a football from somebody autographed. He would have been visiting some locker room. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, I bet you, would have had him in the locker room. And Steph Curry and Draymond Green would have, um, you know, met those guys or met that kid and signed autographs and take photos and all that kind of stuff. It would have condemned the action that took place. But we, we just can't do that shit as a community when it only happens to us. Can't do that. We have to speak out racism all across the board. All across the board. Acts of violence, acts of ignorance, acts of bigotry, acts of racism, all across the fucking board. And if black folks are going to act like fools, if black folks are going to act like animals, if black folks are going to act like bigots, if black folks are going to act like racists toward another ethnic group, we have to call it out, stomp it out, put the spotlight on them, right? Whenever we see some Karens, whenever we see some white folks acting stupid and being racist toward black folks, what do we do? We videotape that shit, we record that shit, and we put it on social media saying, who is this person? Name this person. Find out where he works. Let's see what we can do to get that motherfucker fired. Let's see what we can do for him to have consequences for his actions. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. All for it. All for it. We have to do the same thing with these black folks. So I tried looking up the San Francisco Generals, right? They have their website taken down. The coach, Deontay Brown, can't, can't get a hold of him. Can't find anything about him. Cowards. 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 You're coaching these team, you're coaching these young men to be cowards, coach. That's what the fuck you're doing. You're coaching these kids to be victims. And what are the parents doing? I don't give a fuck about fathering around, father in jail and all that bullshit. That's your fucking problem. Next time, keep your leg fucking closed if you can't, uh, you can't, uh, learn how to, uh, raise your kid correctly. Circumcise yourself. Do fucking something. Because every time if you're going to produce children that act like that and you're not going to say anything, do anything, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. So save myself, my community, the embarrassment. Keep your legs closed for about 15 seconds and don't open them up for every homeboy that comes walking down the block. Shit pisses me off, man. Pisses me off. Because you know we're going to need Asians in this fight for equality. We're going to need Asians. We're going to need Jews. We're going to need everybody. And if I'm an Asian right now and I see this shit, I'm like, man, fuck y'all. Fuck y'all. Because you know black folks are going to be wanting, every time something happens with black folks, you know, you know, we expect the whole world to stop and come and say, oh, you poor guys, this is horrible and this is awful and this, that, and the other. If I'm the Asians, I'm like, man, fuck you guys. Where were y'all when uh, the shit happened to us? Fuck y'all. Y'all are on your own. And we know how it is when y'all are on your own. <laughs> how far y'all get when that happens. So I'm going to end that shit with this before I get in any more trouble. Hey, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I would say that's, I would say to say diatribe in front of the face of Jamel Hill and Carrie Champion and Angela Rye and Bakari Sellers and 
Van Jones and, and Michael Holly and all those guys. I don't care, man. That's, that's the way I feel. If y'all want to take me apart and call me all kind of names and compare, well, don't compare me to Tim Scott. Fuck that bullshit. But if you want to, you know, uh, uh, if, 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 if I'm suspended from the barbecue for a few days because of that rant, sorry. Got to think what I feel and got to say what I feel and think. So there you go. There you go. All right, I'm out of here. Whoo! Got to cool down, get me something to eat, and get ready for work tomorrow. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Wendell's World and Sports. What music am I going to listen to? What music am I going to take you out with? What music should I play something slow, something fast, something boogie-ish, something old school, something soulful, soulful? Hmm, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to have to play. All I know is it's got to be funky. One, two, three. Music. Who you calling the bitch? Since he was with his boys, he tried to break fly. Huh. I punched him dead.